Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Solo laps can be fun, but not all day, you know? Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> honestly, no. Because I haven't driven in like three years just from building the car and being broke. But that's what I, the point that I got to do one or two single laps and then it's just tandem, 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 tandem all day. When I was in college and I had, I was, you know, I was driving the A1JS14, I was bartending, I was DJing, I was internship money and all that. It all went to just hit, like putting two tires on that car. It was just really tough. Like, dude, that's all I could afford. And I was driving maybe like once a month and it was brutal. I have a buddy that's trying to pitch a milk company okay he drinks like a gallon of milk a day and that's wow. why he's doing it <laughs> but like, that's his pitch it's crazy but he sent me like his whole video proposal for it and i was like dude what the f welcome back to the number one drift podcast on youtube presented by Injuku racing i am dawson and today we have nate chen Hell yeah. Uh, prospect driver. Yep. And Formula Drift. So we got some more insight on the comp world for you today. Uh, but of course, before we get into it, look below the video. If that subscribe button is still red, go ahead and click that and hit that bell notification while you're at it. So you're always updated with every episode. Um, and of course, <laughs> this episode was a shit show to get to, even at this point. Um, if you don't know and you haven't seen it on the news, because it was immediately up the next day or next morning, whatever it was. Uh, but he got stuck on the tarmac yesterday for about eight hours <laughs> in yeah, his in, plane in Nashville, like landed here and then sat here waiting to get to a gate. It was pretty, Oh, it was absurd. Pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to be here eight 30 <laughs> in the morning. That's when I was supposed to pick him up from the airport and we were just chilling the whole Dude, day. I didn't get like out of the airport until like eight 15 PM that night. Isn't that crazy? Like a yeah. 12 hour difference. Yeah. It was like right when I got home, you were just now getting off the plane. I was like, bro, fuck that shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just sent him some money. I was like, we can get an Uber. We can do this tomorrow, whatever works. Yeah. And but, honestly, like that's, that was still not as bad as trying to get back home after FD St. Louis this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what, okay. Yeah. yeah we got to yeah. talk about that. <laughs> uh, hold on. Before we do that, if you haven't grabbed the merch behind him, uh, the grassroots hero merch. Grab that. Uh, the end of the two two hundred fifty dollar in Juku money is over. Uh, I think I announced that in this one before this the podcast started. But uh, anyways, also I am going to be giving away a pair of the bums glasses that you see behind me. Uh, any of their glasses on the site. Uh, all you got to do is literally just comment on each podcast each week and like it, and I'll pick a random one of you, and you'll get to choose whichever one's on the site. So yeah, pretty simple and easy. Uh, and you'll get some cool shades. But uh, before we get into that story, give a little rundown on yourself, who you are, kind of what you drive, what you do. Yeah. So uh, my name is Nate Chan. I'm a Formula Drift Prospect driver, 
coming up on my fourth year of competition. I've been involved in drifting in some shape or form since I was 14, which is 2008. Um, nice. So I started as a videographer. Wanted to be more than a spectator. Maybe I should back up a little. I found, <laughs> I found drifting through uh, watching a trailer for Tokyo Drift and big nerd. It seems so to be the going rate. Yeah, so I didn't even see like the whole movie. I just saw this trailer. I was like, "Whoa, what's this?" And then I like Googled it, and I found Formula D was like yeah. a real thing. And then D One Grand Prix and option videos. Like that's how I got into it's the whole it. Last rabbit hole at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then FD came to Summit Point in 2007. I was 13 at the time. Got my dad to take me. Um, so funny. Like you know, went through the autograph line. Got all. Yeah. You know, it's now I'm like in the one behind yeah. the table. You got like, the first hand of experience yeah. of what everyone else comes to you for now. I know it's it was so cool. So anyway, from back then I was like. I always loved cars and racing in some shape or form. I grew up like watching NASCAR, like, you know, growing up in the 90s, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, dude, there's no drifting available. You know what I mean? Not like, around here. <laughs> not, yeah, not in this country. So, um, but, you know, like, I don't come from a racing family or anything like that. So, I, you know, it was like, oh, well, like, whatever. But then I saw drifting, and I was, especially on the competition level. I was like, back in 2007, FD was like not super intimidating do you know yeah. what i mean like you definitely yeah. had you know back then it was like reese millen sam hubinette tanner faust those were like the big guys you know but um and even pretty simple cars yeah at the time. super simple cars and then there were plenty of other guys that were in like pro-am equivalent or even like oh miatas were still yeah. you were still able to use yeah. miatas back then Dude, people would show up in like srs with like basically a you know a bolt-on turbo it made like 350 wheel and they were driving <laughs> fd with that you know what crazy. i mean crazy so i was like oh you know what now like, if you don't have that for a seat time car you're <laughs> fucked <laughs> exactly <laughs> so anyway i was like oh this looks sick and maybe i could even see myself like going here one day and competing on this level because you know f1 or nascar like that looks impossible you know the amount of money and the, that's all that interesting because yeah. whenever i first saw drifting i was still like ah that's still out of my touch like there's no way i'll ever do something like that so that's that's kind of unique that you saw that differently compared to nascar and stuff like that because i on i related it identically to nascar and stuff when did you when, when did you first see it like what uh, so I would say that was probably 2015, 2016 yeah. when I first was open to drifting. By then, like I think things had progressed. Even now, if I had seen, if I saw FD now, I would be like, "Oh man, this is like kind of like nothing yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah. But again, you have to remember, super simple back then, and yeah. like way, way different. Even then, 2015, 2015 is still way different than two thousand seven. That's true. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, yeah, went to that event, had a great time. Then I <laughs> broke my ankle skateboarding at Woodward Camp, if you're Cheers familiar with that. that. Yeah. Um, had a month uh, of like doing nothing. This is like summer going into high school. Um, so I sat on the couch and was bored with like, I was hoping that FD would eventually come back to Summit Point. They never did. <laughs> so <laughs> glad I didn't hold my breath for that. Um, but then I found like US Drift uh, was like holding a competition. And at Summit Point, and mm. I was like, oh, like, got my mom to, like, take me with my broken leg just sitting there. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, then I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, and I want to get more involved. But, you know, I was 14, not able to drive or anything. Mm. So picked up a video camera, which I had done some of that, you know, with my friends skateboarding and stuff. You know, you feel yeah, like, like a mini DV camera, you know, I, I like, lens. oh, no, I didn't even have that. It's no. just like <laughs> just a DV camera. We raw it up. Yeah, dude, I got like, I took, I remember like I read like, oh, you can cut a piece of sock and like tape it on the mic and you got like a windscreen. <laughs> and so I did that, you know, I like showed up there and then I would like kind of barter um, 
you know, like ride alongs for like video footage, kind of like, yeah. oh, like give me a ride along. I'll put you in my video after the thing. And, and people were super receptive to that. And so, yeah, I like did some ride alongs, got to know a lot of people in the community. Yeah. And then D1 Grand Prix 2009 was my first time shooting on like the pro level or whatever. And I just, you know, I was 15. I didn't tell them how old I was. It just was like, hey, yeah. I, you know, I shoot for blah, blah, blah. I don't, you know, I think drifting.com actually helped a lot because I could say like, hey, I shoot for drifting.com. Like, can I get a media pass basically? And yeah. it was just like, cool. And then I did that for FD as well in 2010, 2011, the system. <laughs> yeah, I was the only person to give like a learner's permit because you have to give a driver's license to get a vest or whatever. So they make sure oh, that yeah. you, you give it back. Yeah, I gave him a learner's permit. I, was, <laughs> dude, I, was like, like, I guess this will work. I don't know. And dude, I looked so young back then too. I had like big poofy hair, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's that could probably happen again at uh, an FD. Like a kid kind of like getting a media. Oh, place, not at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. there's back no way then, in hell. A little loose. So yeah. anyway, um, eventually started driving myself when I was 16, and that was 2010. I bought a bone stock E30 from a friend back when they were like super cheap. Yep. And had like saved up money from making those videos, uh, you know, for the three years before that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was bone stock, everything. And that's how I started was in that BMW E30. Hell yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I've always had a soft spot for E30s. I love the way they look. Yeah, the boxy thing. It's a classic look for sure. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, you just don't see anything, you know, Corolla-like or yeah, E30-like. Yeah. Like, you know, everything kind of is more, you know, smooth or curvy or whatever. So mm. I know they got their own fun. issues when it comes to drifting and stuff, but still, I love the look of them. Yeah, no, I mean it was a great starter car. Can't complain. Had a lot of fun in it, and um, I had a yeah. My friend Yoshi was the one who sold it to me and helped me like kind of learn how to like wrench and stuff. Again, he ran used to run events a long time ago, and uh, that's how I got to know him. And then my parents liked him because he was like you know had a white collar job or whatever, and like was super clean cut, and yep. you know they like trusted him that you know. There, because they like would drop me off his house to like help him work on his car. That's how I learned how to like Sick, do a little okay. bit of wrenching. And uh, but yeah, I mean, like now looking back on, it, I'm like, huh, I don't know. Would I drop my like 15 year old off at this like 25, 26 year old dude's like house by himself? Like people were more trustworthy back then. No, I mean, yeah, people again, suck now. <laughs> I, <laughs> this wasn't too long ago, but like, uh, but yeah, no, yeah, she's been been super helpful, and he's you know continues to be a friend to this day. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's, kinda... that's good. It's always good to have those those yeah. homies in the in the scene. But yeah. uh well, okay. Well tell me about the St. Louis story. We'll we'll All jump right. back onto that. St. Louis story. Yeah. So dude, St. Louis is a brutal round. Like it ends super late. Uh I've been spotting and driving the past couple of years, spotting for Kazuya mm -hmm. Taguchi and then so doing double duty, which is exhausting. And I think I'm taking a step back from that from this year, from spotting. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's just it's too much. And so when St. Louis ends I think we left the track at like 1.30 ish in the morning or whatever and oh, got dad. back to the Airbnb. Luckily, Airbnb is close, but then I had a 5.30 flight back to DC <sighs> because, dude. yeah, dude, it was so, it was like, get three hours of sleep. And I was like, all right, it's going to be fine. I'll get to DC like, you know, before noon and maybe I'll just like chill or sleep or whatever. It'll be fine. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. So uh, <laughs> that flight Never got does. <laughs> yeah, it got like had a mechanical issue or something. So it was delayed, delayed, delayed. It was like seven hours of sitting in St. Louis, and then I was like, "Dude, I gotta get like." I was with my um, spotter, and he had to get to work like no matter what yeah. the next day. And I was like, "All right, you know what? Like, I see this flight, and that's going to New York. Like, let's just get on standby." 
So got on that flight, left from St. Louis to New York, and then was hoping to get a flight from New York to D.C. That didn't happen. And so, um, yeah, so then we were stuck in New York, and I ended up getting uh, an Uber to the train station and then a train. And this, the, by the oh time we God. boarded the train, it was like 10 p.m., and then we got in at like 3 a.m. So, dude, dude, I had been up for like basically, I don't know, like, 30 whatever it was yeah yeah because like basically didn't sleep the night amount before, of time. before and then like didn't yeah it was like insane yeah. sleeping um, increment yeah increments on the train no, and shit like that couldn't even because like the train you're like bouncing all over the place oh, it's yeah, just like fair. it was rough anyway so yeah i was with uh with russo uh who did my media last year he used to work at rtr and then jonathan milstein from rtr was actually at the airport with us too Sick. and then so was uh hayden shepherd so yep. like all a bunch of rtr dudes and us and like i remember hayden was trying to see some girl or something go to a concert he was like desperately he was like on the bubble of getting on that flight to new york or not and whatever yeah but yeah he made it it was just so funny there's like <laughs> a f there's like footage of him like got the golden ticket oh, like yeah. we're just like so happy to like get out of st louis at that point so anyway oh, i would have been too yeah yeah it was brutal man like oh my god i can't like 21 hour journey so that was like the worst so that you know like yesterday kind of sucked but it still like doesn't compare to like how bad, <laughs> how bad that yeah, was. Yeah, you got something to top it off at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you got plenty of stories to tell when you have kids one day. I guess. Although I <laughs> honestly don't really want to relive like the time I just got stuck at different airports and a train station <laughs> and an Uber. You know, like just yeah. insanity. That's the life though <laughs> with this, with drifting and especially Formula Drift. Good yeah. God, I'm sure you. I, I, I'm sure every single driver in Formula Drift has some type of airport story along those lines. I mean, airport because stories... Of how much they're traveling. Yeah, an airport story is honestly it. better to have than every driver uh, that tows the rig like across the country has had a story about <laughs> being broken down on the side of the road. Plenty of those too. Somewhere, <laughs> a trailer blew up, you know, like that's yeah. that I feel like is probably more nerve wracking because like... All right, I got to figure out how to get myself on a plane or on a vehicle to go somewhere versus I got to get myself parts you or something to fix to it, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> or else it ain't going At anywhere. At least on the airplane, you just get to sit there while someone else deals with it. Yeah. But yeah. Jesus. All right, so I guess let's start with give me a rundown on FD and the comp car. Yeah. So those, I actually have, so I have three cars, but yeah, the FD RX7 is now my demo car. And then the comp car. So the FD RX7 is new to me last year. It actually came from Committed Service Brand. Uh, I've known John Maycrans for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, he used to run like the Siki cars or he helped on that team. Yeah. And then he's kind of like one of the better, like better local builders to me, I guess. He's based in Delaware. So I knew he had that car and, you know, he always said, oh, everything's for sale. I got to drive it once um, doing a demo, like a couple, like during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it was really funny. It was at Langley Speedway, where it's just where I actually got my pro license. And it was right before Battle Battle of the Bay, which is yeah, where I got my license. Yeah. It was like a promo for that. It was like at a circle track, uh, like local, you know, like Friday, what was it, Saturday night kind of race. And they just wanted us to do, it was like, all right, do a couple donuts, then go run the bank in a car that I'd like never driven before. So uh, it was funny. Okay, I guess. Yeah, dude, it was awesome though. I was like, all right, I'm just going to like throw down. And then, yeah, like I rode like high up on the bank on a car Fucking that I'd sick. never driven before. <laughs> I was like, oh, this thing. But he like, he's like, yeah, it's, it's like pretty loose. And I just, you know, trust him a lot because yeah. he helped set up my 86 originally um, or he built it originally. And then, so I knew like, okay, I can trust like anything he builds and like, oh, cool. Like, all right, 
you know, I'm just really confident that this car will do what I want it to do. And it did. Mm. And so I drove the crap out of it. And then, you know, last or uh, 2021, um, had the opportunity to basically buy it and got a really great deal for it. And then just kind of changed it a lot. So, you know, it was like white and black before, uh, mm. blue is kind of my color. So yeah. I made it blue, put the vertex Ridge body kit on it. Um, vertex, which nice. one of my like favorite all time kits for the RX seven. Yeah. Cause it's like, not super flashy like a rocket bunny or whatever, but like it just looks really, really good. And yeah. it's the same one on the Apex EFD RX7 from mm-hmm. D1 days, uh, which like one of those cars that I loved watching when I was. Yeah, yeah. You know, what? Okay, so there. actually on the body kit, um, obviously Vert- I have the Vertex style KBD kit. Um, but what is your opinion on the one kit that KBD has for the RX-7 and just KBD in general? Yeah, you know, I think KBD is super useful. I have it on my S14. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I have it, you know, like I don't have any issues with it. I think it does a great job of like making stuff last, oh, but yeah. you know what I mean? So definitely love it for that. Um, I don't think I really looked into the RX-7 KBD kit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very simple kit. There's okay. not much aggression Got to it. it, I guess. The the front bumper honestly looks just like factory. Gotcha. <laughs> that makes <laughs> but, sense. But um, it's still a cool kit. I was, I'm just curious because more or less the durability, I get so much as soon as if I say anything about KBD, people want to bitch and bitch and bitch. Nah, just dude. because they're style guys and stuff. They're like, oh, it's not original. Blah blah blah. No, it's I like, think it's awesome. dude, you were you're, gonna... you're okay with rep wheels. Why aren't you okay with rep kits? <laughs> I know, right? Like, dude, I uh, I had I think I got a kit for like the S14 long time ago. It was a what was it Origin kit, mm-hmm. and then the first event that I had it on the car it was uh, the last year they did a competition at Hyperfest when it was at Summit Point. And dude, like first lap, I like hit a bump, blow the front bumper it. off. Yeah, yeah just like ran it like, over. And I was like, I'm tired of breaking dang, my heart every time I like, drive this car. Yeah, it was like that lasted like literally like five minutes. Like, <laughs> oh my god, like this is rough. Check, not again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think I'm a little bit better at keeping the cars together. I think. Um, so the RX7 kit, yeah, I mean it. I have to like I'm gonna re- I'm in the middle of like refiberglassing it, you know, fixing nice. some like minor like cracks and stuff. Nothing like exploded though. So at the same time, it's just like one of those things where you're like, oh, man, like, yeah, it's the RX7 looks sick. And if I just like don't put this kit that I really wanted on it, then like I'm kind of doing it as a service. It's like kind of yeah. why, why I have the car. You know what I mean? So because yeah. I just really wanted that kit for a long time. So I don't blame yeah. you. Yeah. Especially on a nostalgic car like that. It's it's yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you won't get nobody'll get mad at you for keeping it like pristine and Oh, I mean it's like not original. Names. It's L S swap, you know. So well, yeah, that. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, was it L S swap before you bought it? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So that so car, when you tested it, it was already the yep, same. already L S swapped. It it's been like around for a long, long time. I think John bought it in like two thousand two and then turned it into a road race car slash drift car. I think it was a road race car first, then it became a drift car. Huh. And he would kind of take it out like maybe once a year. He doesn't get a whole lot of time to to drive because yeah. he's, you know, working in the shop or whatever. Um, so it's been around for, yeah, for a super long time in that configuration. It's set up really, really, really well. So oh, yeah. he made a custom prototype like angle kit that just steers exactly like the way you would want it to. It's super responsive. I know there are tons of setup issues uh-huh. on that car, um, even though there are... Com- plenty of companies that make it, but even their kits, like, just aren't, like, I don't know. I just watched YouTube videos on them and how yeah. like, messed up and how annoying. Okay, so I don't know, yeah. like, hardly anything about the FD, especially underneath. So, like, what what companies, I guess, 
Does FDF make a kit for that? I that think they do. They don't advertise it though. Like I looked it up. I'm and sure they, it's they not rear... one they sell very often. So yeah. that's probably why. But yeah, they make one. Um, and then WiseFab makes one. And then I've seen issues or people's issues with WiseFab. The reason why it's like so challenging and different than all the other types yeah, of you you know, BMW F- or F- FD and FC issues for drifting. And yeah. Stuff so and it's ARM. ARM fronts like weird. Oh. Like it, you have to like kind of. You know, on the WiseFab kits, you run like tons of camber, like the way I'm not a super expert on the of geometry course, yeah, stuff, yeah. but like the way you set up a McPherson strut suspension car versus an A-arm car, like very, very different. You know what I mean? Like hmm. you can't just use the same geometry and um, spring rates and et cetera on a McPherson strut, port it over to an A-arm and expect the same results. Like yeah. I actually run like almost, there's like a really small amount of camber in the front uh, for the F the RX-7, oh. whereas you have a lot of camber for um, those other cars. Yeah. And yeah, so... Um, That's crazy. Yeah, it's just like a weird... Yeah, the A-arm thing is weird. It's a front rack, though, so, uh, steer, so like, steering. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome, because front rack is uh, amazing. Like, that, it's so much better. I had a huge issue with the uh, the pro car with the rear steer, you know, because uh-huh. it used to have an S13 rear steer rack with WiseFab, and then... I would go to full lock and when I would dump the clutch, like the the wheel would do this little like Ooh, yeah. death wobble yep. and it like shot me off course in New Jersey. I ended up losing once because of that. And then I qualifying it also messed me up. So now on the 86, we have the BMW style, like the new WiseFab stuff, which is front rack. Okay. Um, yeah. And so basically it's all like, if you think about all the force of the wheels, like it goes backwards, right? And so mm-hmm. when you're, uh, when you have a tie rod that's like this thick, and all yeah. the force of you know the front suspension is going on to something like this, well, it can bend, and mm-hmm. that's like what happened when I had the rear steer. Like the tie rod would bent. Like I didn't Holy hit anything; shit. it just bent. Yeah, that's I I dealt with that on my old angle kit a lot because yeah. it was like they're smaller mm-hmm. tie rods; they're not as thick. Yeah, they were the WiseFab ones, and we reinforced them to get through the rest of the season. But even still, like I always would have tie rod issues, you know. Yeah. Um, but now with the front steer, you know, all the load goes on to the control arm, which is like strong, you know, oh, yeah. like you're not, if you're bending a control arm without hitting anything, then something's like super wrong with like yeah. the design of that. Control Does arm, it you know I mean? like, okay. So when you're in drift and feeling that, what, what is the actual difference that you're feeling inside the car? Yeah. Well, when you feel the Does death wobble, feel the like steering the steering is, is just, just like, smoother. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's way smoother because okay. the death wobble is just like you're at full lock and you're like, oh my god, what's going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like, why is it doing this? Um, oh, when I first yeah. took my Z out, you because you know how like the the lower control arms have really shit bushings in them on mm-hmm. Zs. I didn't know that at the time, and mine were shot, bro, like shot. And the NSS track where you're talking about 100 mile per hour entry on the sweeper, I was doing that, and I had like active caster. My shit was just <laughs> wobbling, dude. It was bad. But yeah, check your front suspension. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> anyways. You really do. Um, but yeah, do that RX seven. So it's really well set up, and then also the spring rate is pretty crazy. It's actually like sixteen k front. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, Holy shit. John, John. What other car compares to that? Having that know. much of a front spring. Rate. Um, you know, SC three hundreds are also a ARM. I think. So okay. I don't know. I've never, I actually, I daily an SC300, yeah. five speed too, which is sick. I've had that car since I was 16. Um, but so I've never set it up for drifting, but I do know they're, I'm pretty sure they're a arm front as well. So I would assume mm. it has probably like, it's pretty similar, you know? That's cool. Yeah. Huh. 
So, but yeah, the fortune I have Fortune five tens on there right now, sixteen k front, and then rears ten k. Yeah, uh, big so, BC guy over here. You know, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, hey man, not kidding, but like, yeah, yeah. Own, you know, dude, you want custom valve shocks? Those are, are great like, coilovers. Yeah. I'm not hating whatsoever. <laughs> trust me, I'm just just making a joke. Yeah, all good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, okay. So tell me about the eighty six more. Because the FD mm-hmm. pretty much covered that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, Dogbox, LS1 with a cam makes like 382. Okay. I, I know that because so I dive it. low power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It look, but people, it's funny. It's just like if you just drive it. Looks it looks like it rips. I know, right? Yeah, people are like, oh, it must be like 600 horsepower. Like, <laughs> no, dude, I just. Nah, FDs just look fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I did most, like, my most sketchy, like, entry though in that car this year mm-hmm. it was fun 115 miles an hour we're at uh summit point okay on the bridge course so like they normally run it like there's like a straightaway that they don't really use at all because like it connects between two different courses gotcha. but during the lone star event they were just doing the full course hot lap basically For and sure. so yeah i like used the whole straightaway just didn't lift and then you go up a hill and i jumped the car twice and then going oh, down the hill fuck yeah like oh. you know like rip the e-brake and then yeah pitched it in at like 115 into the carousel which is sketchy because mm-hmm. like on one side you have like the drop off and then the other side you have like no runoff into a wall <laughs> so that was uh that was so sick though i was so happy to do that but, how fast yeah. are you going no 115 yeah. Oh, like, okay, uh, okay. GPS data from the GoPro said like 115 miles an hour when I jumped twice up the bank. And then I guess maybe I lost like two miles an hour by the time I went down the bank. But I didn't oh like I just God, stiff nuts. foot to the floor, like went to rev limiter when the car like jumped. <laughs> it was like, you know, dude, it was fuck. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was so sick. So, yeah, I was like so pumped to get that because I was like, I think this is possible. Like, what if you just don't lift? Because it's got really It's always no. possible. And I like did it a couple times, and I I don't know, I, like I, I don't know how fast I was going, but I was like lifting a couple, you know, I was like mm-hmm. before the hill or at yeah. the hill, because you, dude, you feel like you're like, oh man, this is, or like I'm gonna jump the car, and I'm gonna land, and then the steering's gonna shoot me off. It's like the it. car's like, falling apart. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're like, oh dude, this is. So yeah, I just told myself, I was like, dude, you gotta, you just gotta do it, man. You just gotta. Yeah. Foot just to pin like, it. Just pin it. Just like. I, yeah, and as I was doing, I was like, "Don't lift, don't lift." And then, <laughs> and then I did it. I was Butt like, "Puckered as shit." Oh yeah, dude, it's scary as hell, man. Hell yeah, uh, it was so fun. What gear were you doing that in? Probably fourth. Yeah, fourth. fourth. Okay. Yeah, the trans is Damn. weird. It came from Austin Meeks's Cadillac CTSV, which you know was an, a Pro One car. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, first and second are really long. Then third's like eighty. Then fourth is ninety. So third's super short. Then fourth is ninety. And then I was. Pretty much hmm. almost at the limit for fourth by the time I Damn. got up to 115. I think <laughs> if I like... Throw that bitch in fifth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dog box. So. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think if I like carried a little bit more speed, I feel like I could probably hit like 120 before I like ran out of gear. Yeah. But yeah. I don't Damn. know. I can't. I, after that, I'm like, dude, I got to do that. Like, like oh, like Run it miles. back, yeah, baby. Run it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Anyway, 86. Um. So yeah, it started its life out as like a hundred thousand mile FRS. I found it in Florida for like a really good deal, and like flew down, got the car, or you know, had some airline points, got the car, drove it back up to Virginia, made it like an hour uh, away from like where I live before some idiot like rear-ended the guy behind me and then rear-ended me. Yep. Luckily, it wasn't like it was you know just like a bumper support in the back that got gotcha. messed up, so nothing yeah. big. 
Um, so then, yeah, John Maycransett committed, built out the car originally. And, you know, the idea was let's build like an FD level car, but not FD level power. Okay. So it had dog box, quick change, but it had uh, LQ4, six liter iron block, yeah. you know, with a yeah. Holly Hightower intake. And so I think that only made like 430-ish or something like that, 430, 440. Still a... And people, healthy, reliable number. Yeah, but you know, if you set it up correctly with a quick change and all that, like people again see all the smoke and they're like, "Dang!" And they, and they heard it scream, they're like, "Dang, that must be like six hundred horsepower." It's an LS. It's yeah. I know, I know, but they, <laughs> they think it's like, "Yeah, it must be like seven hundred horsepower." I was like, "Nah, dude, it's iron block." And then the, that again. that motor blew up, and then an L ninety two, which is like the same thing as an LS three on mm. the bottom end, basically the same thing. Um, that's what went in there after that and that got me my license and i was like oh i'm gonna pull this motor out and uh sell it and then it blew up <laughs> too oh, fuck. so now so now it has a six liter iron block um but it's a fully built motor with the madison supercharger at this point so okay yeah yeah were you looking for that chassis whenever you were searching so, or how, why did you end yeah. up with it yeah it was like what is cost effective and newer because i had kind of a thesis that you know i don't want an older car that will potentially can't market it well yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like if you think look, about every other newer racing... cars look better for branding on the side of the car exactly like yeah, yeah like if you think about any other professional racing series do you see anybody else drive like 30 year old cars at the top levels no like, forest <laughs> no no i mean like other non-drifting <laughs> stuff oh okay yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, like, sorry any any form of like racing like nobody drives old cars mm -hmm. in those and it kind of like one thing I would love to see in my lifetime would be drifting to shift from endemic sponsors and companies that support it. Love them, of course. But if you really want it to grow to like a mainstream level, you really need outside companies and outside companies. Yeah, Coca-Cola, yeah, PepsiCo, well, which shit like that. They, they do support it through like Rockstar and Monster because those are both Yeah, but that's but, like yeah. if the average person doesn't understand that yeah, Rockstar yeah, yeah. is under PepsiCo and all that stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it's... Yeah, you would definitely need like like banks jumping in, exactly. and, like just random shit. Like I have a, I have a buddy that's trying to pitch a milk company. Okay, he drinks like a gallon of milk a day, and that's wow. why he's doing it. <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's his pitch. It's crazy. But he sent me like his whole video proposal for it, and I was like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> like he went into depth about drifting, which you wouldn't normally do that for like a a car company because right. they already know what the fuck's right. going on. But yeah. like I was like, bro. Let me know if that goes through. I don't care what happens. I just want to know. I want to know <laughs> if it works. Because uh, I've got some companies in mind that are outside of drifting myself that I want to reach out to and make relationships with, bring them in. But, like, I don't really know how to talk to those people for drifting. It's so weird. So And it's really hard because people naturally just kind of want to go to stuff they've been doing, right? It's Yeah. It's just yeah. like... so they when go you, with what they know. Yeah, exactly. And then you're trying to sell them on this, like, different, like, kind of subculture thing where, you know, the mainstream audience, it's like getting there. You know what I mean? It's Yeah. But it's still not, like, fully there. And I don't know. There's just a lot of maturity that kind of needs to happen uh, on a bunch of different fronts for it to get there. But overall, I think we just need to attract, you know, from a professional side of drifting things, you just need to attract a massive amount of audience that doesn't necessarily like cars um, or are hardcore fans. Like I love, yeah. I'm a hardcore fan at heart. Yeah. But at the same time, if you think about like football or baseball, like I go to 
baseball games for like work related events. I don't even watch the game, dude. I'm like there to network and like do business stuff. That was my sport growing up. <laughs> I don't even watch it, bro. I, I mean, mean, even when I played it, I couldn't watch it. But that like that's just yeah. a thing for me is I physically can't like get into professional sports. No, that's I've just totally never fair. been able to. Yeah, but like the thing with those things are it's like even though I'm not watching the game, I, somebody like I didn't pay for the ticket, but I was there. So therefore mm-hmm. somebody had to pay. Somebody is funding baseball like without those people there baseball football like none of that none of this stuff happens like it's oh, a yeah. spectator sport and so i we wonder what the ratio there. is from just genuine spectators to people there on business <laughs> that's true <I'm> <laughs> sure. i've never thought of that but even i would say most football or baseball fans they're probably like not die like die hard you know nope not a wife that got dragged out with yeah, them yeah, yeah. or something exactly. like that like, yeah. dude, no one's gonna rattle off like the ninth stat on the guy's baseball card like your average fan's probably not gonna know all those details you know what i mean yeah and people that do it makes me want to puke sometimes <laughs> i'm like why do you care that much about another man <laughs> <laughs> but dude drifting is the same thing i mean we have like some people that are super super into it super focused on the result yeah. all this it's like and we have this problem at the driver's summits every year at FD. It's like, oh, like, what if we just changed the judging criteria to this or made it operate like that? And I'm like, you guys are missing the bigger picture, which is like, how do we get more people? How do we attract a higher income bracket? How do we get other companies that are not, you know, involved in automotive? I think the judge, judging side of it does ha- relate heavily to making that happen. The only reason I say that is because I recently had uh, Chase McMaster on from yeah, Chase Yeah, I, I watched that episode. Yeah. yeah, so when he was talking about the Rob Deerdeck stuff, how uh, Rob Deerdeck basically was the first one to lay out, like, this trick equates to this amount of numbers and points or mm-hmm. something like that. And it was just a dead set, like, judgment call. So anytime those arose, both the spectator and the judge were already confirmed on, like, this is what more than likely the call is. So there was more um, ability for the spectator and the person that's not really into drifting to comprehend what's going on better. Um, And that brought a lot more people into skating. Uh, And that's obviously the reason his companies blew up and stuff too. But I I think that's an important factor for what you're saying. Yeah, and let me clarify. Like, obviously, the judging criteria and the way the show operates, <laughs> yeah, it's important. They're not sure. doing it yeah, the yeah, best. Yeah. They're no, not adjusting it the best. I mean, but... like, yeah, that can it. There's a good base foundation there for sure, and yeah. they can improve upon that. And it's getting like I think every year it does kind of get like one step better. And then you also have outside influences like Driftmasters with like their production, their oh, and they're fucking style, it, and it's dude. just like, dude, like. Why don't we have a stadium drifting event? Oh, it's like, yeah, it's expensive, but sure. And like sometimes like FD prides itself on not having raised outside capital since they did the deal. They're actually owned by um, IMG Worldwide, mm. a majority ownership. They did that deal in like 2009-10. I don't think many people know that, but it's all public. Like I found it in the public records and stuff, and you can find it on IMG's website. Um, but like, look, outside capital is what you need to, to fund growth. And that's what Driftmasters yeah. has through Bud Matt and, and all, and Peter Vincic family, I think, um, and Red Bull. And, you know, that's kind of, you can only do so much with your own capital in growing any business before it becomes time where you need outside investment to scale quickly, to yeah, scale quickly. Yeah, to like scale that's, the, point. that's yeah. the value of outside capital is it, it brings new ideas. It brings speed. It brings, you know, a bunch of other stuff, but it can like go wrong. There is a risk. Like you could take, you could get somebody <laughs> involved risk. that like could destroy it. Um, but at the same time, like if you don't 
get somebody involved? Is it ever going to reach its potential or is it just going to be kind of what it is? And yeah. um, not saying like not knocking FD or anything. I think it's great. I think it is the best platform to have a potential career at this thing that we're passionate about at the same time, you know, I could argue that there's that's fair. No, that's <laughs> I would um, say the FD side is probably the most difficult way to make a career out of drifting. How well, where, okay. I will throw that question back at you. Where do you, where do you <laughs> see yourself making a career in, you want to have drifting involved as your this content. This content. Content. Because, I mean, it, content drives everything anyways, whether when it comes to the investment stuff, whether it comes to your just solely your business. Yeah. You, in today's age, you can't really progress without content in some way because you have to be visible. So whether you're paying someone else to put your content on their platform or, you know, whatever it is, because that's all commercials yeah. was i mean fd is a content platform at the end of the day yeah. too and just yeah. like f1 is too you know like they're owned by liberty media um but and if you see what f1 does with its content how it curates events and like what it does outside of out of the racing to make it exciting for people to want to go to that like it's really really yeah, powerful yeah. and like that's where i feel like we're kind of missing on on drifting you know mm -hmm. what i mean like f1 like there's the race but there's all this excitement around just the race. It just brings in crazy amounts of people and money to all the different yeah. cities, even though like, yeah, it's expensive to run, but at the same time, like they're able to make it work through a bunch of different resources and they're really smart about how they do it. And then obviously the Netflix thing, just they were having so much trouble <laughs> yeah. accessing this, the United States. And then they do that and it's just like problem solved. Uh, it's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, come on. Hey, like, like you guys, like that should be number one, yeah. on your agenda if you're really trying to make fd like mm -hmm. you know i don't care yeah. what it takes but like do it because that's the result that f1 got out of it and so nascar's mm -hmm. tried i think similar stuff and i've watched it and i feel like it's not been as successful as the yeah drive to survive stuff but at the same time if like i haven't seen fd do similar content you know what i mean like I, nope. i'm sure they're trying but it's like, that's why yeah, i, I argue at that point is because even if you're following the fd dream you're going to eventually have to start doing content anyways yeah but a lot of that i feel like is going to be content that's going to be a burden rather than um more interesting and fun to actually make because uh, you can you could easily make a career out of going to grid lives every single year and going to Hyperfest and like stuff like that, bigger, big events that still draw in a big crowd like FD does. Um, but you still get to drive what car you want at the pace you want, doing what you want, building what you want, stuff like that. So it, it all comes down to you personally, of course. If you have, if you just care about the competitive edge that much, then fuck all to the fun shit and some people are genuinely just that which i think you're probably along those lines i am probably that way just i mean like for me competition is fun like yeah. the stress of it like the intensity i got all that out when i was young <laughs> i was like <laughs> just screw it at this point that's fair yeah no i mean i used to uh, compete like on a local level of skateboarding and yeah and um <laughs> i did a bunch of like academic competitions like again i'm dude i'm a nerd man like happy to admit <laughs> it like I did really well in the geography B in like elementary school. In high school, I did this thing called Life Smarts, which I'm I still am tangentially involved in. But it's a really great prep tool for like high school kids to learn some like 
actual like useful life knowledge. No shit. So there's like five categories of questions and they're all like, like one thing that I learned in that that I still use today is like if you look on the back of a drug label, like it tells you what the active ingredients are mm -hmm. and like that's how you know what you're taking versus just brand name or generic and all that. It was like a question, but it's like, hey, I actually remembered it and I, yeah. I can't really say I remember anything from my like history high school class. Do you oh, know what I mean? no. <laughs> so, but yeah, for that, like I got to go to like the, like won the state level did the national level for a cup like for two years in a row, I think. And then now I'm like have come back as a guest judge and that kind of thing and still so like really Damn, supportive that's of that. Cool. Yeah, it's so fun. So yeah. anyway, I'm an I'm a nerd too. And I, I like <laughs> not from school though. Like I was rebellious in school. I hated school. But like I've learned more out as far as like history and shit yeah. like that outside of high school or any type of school yeah. now. And I it's it's so much better. Now that I'm actually interested in it, I can physically catch up on it. Yeah. Uh, back then, I just, I just wanted to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally just wanted to go you. work and make money. That's all I gave a shit about. No, I totally hear you, man. I like, I would do. I did well in high school, and then went to William and Mary for undergrad and got a business degree. But outside, like in high school itself, I hated it. I just, uh, I'd show up, I'd do my whatever, get my grades in, what, and then I would be like, all right. Time to go do the car stuff because like yeah, that's, yeah. Know, that was that was what I you know did and I worked for a shop at the time um, during the summers and uh, yeah it was it was fun from a car perspective but like the rest of high school sucks so oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I was ready to get the fuck out of there yeah but uh, okay well I guess so we talked about a little bit of the judging stuff what is there something in FD that you think could be um, adjusted very easily uh, to help whether it's drivers spectators like just fd as a whole yeah i mean i what think is the most i think you just need to thing? really target a higher income bracket um so again get people with more money interested in the sport when that will attract more support from larger businesses that see yeah. the value in it in terms of like you know why do consult actually my former employer sponsors williams f1 racing like stevens was oh uh, shit investment bank that's like where i worked why do they do it well because f1 attracts a certain level of demographic it's not you know, it's not the billionaires that they're looking for, but it's just even like the normal crowd mm -hmm. like typically has a higher income and et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, so in order to do that, you have to create like unique experiences for that are, again, like higher price than just general admission. And you actually make way more money than that. Just like the way a nightclub yeah. works. Like, do they make money off general admission tickets or is it the bottle service people? And it's yeah. the bottle service people. So again, not to knock at all like the current FD base um, because obviously I love them and would not be able to do it without them. But you need to just attract a lot more people that maybe aren't as hardcore into the sport. But if you get them there, they are spending money. They are spending mm -hmm. money on team merch. They're buying. I, dude, I walk around DC all the time. I see like Max Verstappen jerseys and Daniel <laughs> Ricardo stuff. And I'm like, well, why don't like they care about FD? Like yeah. FDs, I think, dude, drifting is so much more entertaining to watch than Formula One. Like, oh yeah, come on, dude. Like it's not even a like how many laps can I watch? Which is all the cars sound the same. Yeah, like dude, it's, it's they're like, all doing the same exact line. Exactly, it's dude. boring. It's yeah, like racing to watch. Like I well, watching the highlights for like ten minutes. Oh, dude, like that I do. Yeah, that. Like, cake. Yeah, I watch normally NASCAR some highlights and shit. Like, yeah, I watch yeah. NASCAR highlights, F one highlights. And then, like, that's all I, I don't need to watch the whole race, you know? But for drifting, like, dude, I want to watch, like, every battle because every battle is, like, that exciting. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And oh, so yeah. it's, like, we have, like, the clearly more entertaining product. 
but we haven't sold it to the general populace in a way that they're as excited about it as we are. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's like the biggest thing to me that will create the most amount of value for the teams, for the sponsors that are currently in the program, for the sponsors that could potentially be there one day, for FD in general, like just trying to elevate it to that next level where, yeah, dude, we have hardcore fans. We can argue about judging and camera angles and all this crap all day long. And it's always going to be your word versus my word, whatever, blah, 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 blah. We just need to make sure we have a sellable show to, again, like the most amount of people. Like I just want, dude, I don't, I want that guy that's there for a corporate meeting at FD, mm. but he's like, I, like, yeah, he doesn't give a crap about the racing. That's fine because he's still spending money to be there, which yeah. again, like eventually will flow down into everybody else's pocket. It might introduce like a bunch of other factors, but at the same time, it's just like, I just want, you know, the thing that I love and I'm very passionate about that I've dedicated like more a majority of my life to pursuing. Mm-hmm. I just want that to be shared again with like just as many people as possible, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That's why I want. Now, do you think it's entirely possible because of the U S being so ingrained in say NASCAR or stuff like that? Because that's, because if you look at Japan, like you'd say, okay, their main motorsport is drifting, right? For the most part, Uh, as far as like just normal cars go. Yeah. I can't. Drifting spectators in Japan, I think, are like kind of weak, though, from what I've heard. Well, like, yeah, like yeah, the number totally, of spectators yeah. and all that. But like, yeah. if you were, you can reference drifting to Japan like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone in America doesn't really care about cars or does isn't interested in cars, and you try and reference drifting to the U.S., they're gonna be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You would reference uh, well, NASCAR to the U.S. Yeah, because that's why? what's so big. So do you think the shift in people's mindset is actually possible oh, in yeah. the U.S. because we're such a big country well, no, here's, all that stuff Here's too. an example. Like F1 before the pandemic, before Drive to Survive, nobody in the U.S. really paid attention to it. You said racing, they thought of NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. Now I say racing, they think of F1. You know that's what I mean? fair, yeah. So the mindset can change, but you just have to market it in a way that gets – their mindset to change so like it's definitely possible you know what i mean um i'm just curious because i yeah. see it here literally here in nashville because they just started bringing the grand prix to mm-hmm. nashville a few years ago and ever since like fuck all with nascar <laughs> like I, i'll see an ad about uh, they'll finally run an, a nascar event at the nashville super speedway which also just started about two or three years ago as well okay but like people are just Grand Prix, Grand Prix, Grand Prix. They would ten times rather go to that instead of the NASCAR event. Well, Indy, I think. IndyCar does uh, like a street race, right? Like in downtown Nashville. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Like that's cool. Like my favorite FD event. Um, haven't driven the track, and track I've heard is like really difficult to drive. But it's Long Beach. Yeah, Long Beach yeah. is like the coolest venue I've ever. Like, dude, you go to a racetrack means you know driving out middle of nowhere, like kind of sucks you know what i mean like there's nothing around the racetrack racetrack can be beautiful but it's still out in the middle of nowhere you go to long beach you're like dang like there's like i could walk to the bar yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's like i'm in the middle and i dude i love cities like i live in dc like proper dc proper uh right next to where reagan got shot actually so like literally like god damn yeah i know (laughs) i know funny thing how that works but literally like right next to it so 
Um, I don't know. I think cities are just like a really fun place to be, but obviously most of racing doesn't happen in the city, but Long Beach does. And like, that's such a cool, such a cool event to experience. You know what I mean? Just the atmosphere. And I'm glad that it's incorporated into Formula Drift so that we somewhat can see the vision for it. Uh, because that's exactly what it's, it's just the Grand Prix, right? The IndyCar stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they just throw the drifting in with it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that's what it could be to the scale of. So right. it's good to get the vision right then yeah. from there and kind of, and they, but the, they just need to take the right steps. I you guess. know, I think the family behind it has been very receptive to the promoter family behind the promotion of the IndyCar race at Long Beach Grand Prix has been yeah. very receptive to drifting. Um, and I don't think all promoters are like that. So I think Formula Drift has just been really lucky with that relationship. But at the same time, because I mean, to shut down city streets, all those barriers, like, oh my God, the cost, right? I don't even want to know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but at the same time, if you can get drifting into that popular scale and somehow like getting the city on board is probably the hardest thing about that. And yeah. Long Beach has just been happening forever. So it's easy. I want to know how they got Vegas on board. <laughs> Dude, lots of, lots God. of money, man. Like that's the, what it the is. The cheapest ticket they had was like five grand. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, that may be absurd. No, but... no, no, no. I think, and then, you know, like a week, before the event, they're like, oh, we haven't sold any of this stuff. All right, like, yeah, <laughs> drop it. Drop yep. it like 200 bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I'm sure they probably lost money, even though Had it seemed to. like, yeah. But, you know, in F1, again, Liberty Media, they have a lot more money than FD does. Um, so, like, they can take that hit. Although, at the same time, like, you know, I think it'll be a really successful event for them mm. over the course of, of it, assuming that the city continues to renew yeah. and et cetera. I'm but sure FD they have to, I have, I'm they, sure they have like to a, lose money on it yeah. more than anything. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure well, the money's cost. all made up until the event and then they lose their ass on it so they can write it off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, actually, so have I'd have to pull so Liberty. You can pull Liberty Media's financials. Um, they're publicly... Like oh, shit. All okay. the money's, yeah, it's yeah. all public. Um, I don't have to look that up then. I mean, actually, now. that's the cool thing about how F1 works. Like, they actually split every dollar of, like, net profit mm-hmm. gets split between the teams. It's, like, 50-50. It, like, goes, 50% of it goes to, like, the teams. Okay. And then it's a payout system where, like, the top team, like, Ferrari gets, like, a fee just because they're Ferrari. They've been in it since the beginning. But then that's why they care so much about the ranking of the team order because that hmm. determines how much money they end up getting from the net profit yeah but the teams are like incentivized to help f1 grow because they actually make money from there it's not just sponsor dollars yep fd doesn't have it like that no no how much is okay i personally have never heard what a winning is i guess would it be the season or a round uh you get they get paid out every round right who f1 for winning or no fd FD? Yeah, yeah 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 uh yeah it's, yeah, there's some what is the actual amount usually? Um, I'm sure it shifts every year, but so pro and pro spec are different. Pro is definitely more. I honestly, well, I don't know what what is pro. I don't know. It's not really like relevant to me. Yeah. Pro spec, it's, it's not. It's, it's, not, it's not enough to matter. But Dude, like, I, I've made more money. I've never physically heard anyone say what the amount is. No, I've made more money at the gambler than like than you could at winning an FD round. Like, I mean, like full stop. Like, actually, yeah. do even on the two thirty five class, I think it's a higher payout than. Than winning a that's a joke, round. yeah. What a fucking joke. But at the same time, it's like you know, FD's argument is, hey, we have this media and all this other stuff, and yeah, like you get okay, other stuff I out of it. it. I get yeah, that. Yeah, but you like, do, and like crazy. majority of racing teams, even F one, a majority of their income is from sponsorships um, mm-hmm. and partnerships. But at the same time, it's yeah, it's a little frustrating 
But it's like, I don't know, man. I wish there was a more... I, th- I wish all the teams in FD had more of an ownership, um, you know, in FD, like an ownership yeah. stake. I think that would yeah. be really cool if, you know, people would buy into it, like, uh, dude, I'm happy to write a check into owning a piece of FD and then having a yeah, say in shares. direction. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and there's a lot, I mean, like, it would be really hard to get, obviously, like, 70 drivers uh, feedback and whatever, but, like, you can oh, break yeah. it down into a committee or have, like, a driver's representative or drive, like, a group, like, a committee. There's, there has to be, like, stuff how to operate. But, again, it's just, like, I wish, you know, the teams were just more financially incentivized to... Mm-hmm. To again make stuff other than it's just like, hey, we want to grow because we know growing this platform will help us. But it's like, well, could we also like make money from growing this platform? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, again, that's so my my day job is working in private equity. Like, I help businesses grow. Like, that's what I do. I invest in government services businesses primarily. Mm-hmm. So I've invested in high end IT services, Intel analysis businesses, um, security businesses, anything that does like a service for the federal government basically. And so that is literally what I do on a daily basis is scaling businesses and then selling them. Like that's Big how boy private job. equity, yeah, that's how <laughs> private equity works. So I've learned a lot in, uh, you know, I've been at it for seven or eight years, I think at this point, between investment banking and private equity. And so like- You said it's helped you a lot in mm-hmm. your racing program just by gaining sponsors and stuff. So. Um, I guess first, before you give a rundown on how, what your approach is and stuff, what actual techniques or anything like that have you learned from your day job to relate to that? So fundamentally, it's just been understanding how businesses work, especially from a financial point of view. Um, so I started my career in investment banking doing sell-side consumer M&A. I sold, I helped sell Polar, um, Bennington pontoons, the largest pontoon manufacturer in the U.S. to Polaris. That was an $825 cool. million deal. Yeah, biggest one. Damn. Ever yeah, I didn't make any of that money, but I made somebody cool. else that yeah, money. That's still, you know I mean? like, yeah, it was that's really, on your resume. <laughs> yeah, it is. It definitely is. I got a nice little lucite from it, a big pontoon boat. It's really, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I did, I did that. And anyway, but basically, like, I've seen great management teams work and um, not so great management teams, you know, operate businesses. But it just gives me an overall understanding of, like, hey, what are these people's goals? Like, what are they actually looking for in terms of, like, if they want to spend a dollar in marketing, like, what do they, what do they want out of it? Mm. It's not, it's not, oh, I want a sponsorship, I want parts, or I want cash, like, you should give it to me because I want these things. It's you no know, like, why would they like, why should they spend a dollar with you? Like, what are you like, what are you doing for them? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like understanding that mindset. It's understanding issues that people have in all businesses of, you know, whether it's politics of, uh, like, you know, we're getting pulled in this direction by this guy, but this guy says something else. You know what I mean? It's just understanding those types of dynamics and understanding, understanding what how is value. <laughs> businesses grow. Yeah. And so that's helped me understand, you know, uh, talking to different companies, whether they're big or small, because even in the automotive world, we have a wide range of of companies. We have big companies like Holly, which are private equity roll ups that just gobble up businesses left yeah. and right. They do things that I don't like. I, you know, in private equity world, there are players that buy businesses, rip out all the assets, and then just throw away what's left over, and that sucks. Like I hate that version of private equity. I've always been a growth oriented investor where. I want to come in and help a business grow. And that means hiring more people, giving more resources, spending money to actually like scale the business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, Holly has been one of these private equity pass arounds, like let's buy businesses, realize the synergies, meaning fire, you know, cut costs, fire people, make money. And at the same time, like they've done a really good job at scaling that business. They've acquired a zillion different brands, right? And so it is a machine, right? And I know how to deal with them. I, or I've dealt with them in the past. And then at the other end, we have like founder owned, family owned type businesses where it's just one guy in a shop type thing. And yeah, that's what I've learned is majority of these companies are, I mean, maybe five people tops in a big ass warehouse, just making this shit work. And it's it's impressive. And so, and all of them have like their own like great things about them and their own like things they need help with. But obviously like Holly's problems are going to be very different than a founder owned business's problems, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just, it's been helpful in my, from my day job, being able to see both sides of the coin and Mm -hmm. like understanding, okay, these, this is what these people are focused on. And then this is what like this person's focused on, you know what I mean? And there is like a gap and, you know, of size of businesses. And there are, there are like kind of, you know, there are, businesses that are kind of on their way to being a Holly, but like maybe not as professionalized and and that kind of thing. And that's generally where I kind of felt like in the government services land, I don't mess with like fortune 100 businesses. Yeah. I would like fortune 500 businesses to acquire the ones that I'm invested in. Of course, like that's a great outcome, but I help businesses go from like small to mid tier prime effectively in this world. It's like, you know, KN and Holly, those are like kind of the larger players, but then the smaller players, you know, like Fuel Lab or Fortunato or, you know, mm-hmm. they're kind of the founder owned type businesses. They're definitely like not single, you know, not like Chase Base 10 years ago. Like yeah. they're, but they're, yep. you know, they're on their way to growing. But, um, but yeah, it's really fun working with, with all of them and Moroso actually, especially. So Moroso is a new partner of mine. They're a founder-owned, family-owned business. This is um, they were founded in 1968 by Dick Moroso. He was a drag racer that would, you know, race and make his own parts. And then people were like, oh, like, where'd you get that? Can I buy yeah. it? Yeah. And so he did start out as like one of those, you know, very entrepreneurial type people where he was just kind of selling the stuff that he used on his race car. Yeah, and then solved it, a problem for yeah. himself and everyone caught an eye of it. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. it 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 rolled into like he ended up actually being one of the pioneers of the wholesale distribution system. So he encouraged like no Jags shit. and Motor State to like actually put that whole way of distributing parts. Like yeah. he helped shape that system, which is really cool. Holy shit. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't it's know wild. that part. Yeah. They make like 3,500 different products. Um, or today, Marosa makes 3,500 different products. They're the, one of like four companies in the US to extrude their own wire because they make, um, you know, spark plug wires. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. yeah, so this is my first year working with them and I'm really excited too. And they're on, now on their third generation. So I work really closely with uh, Penelope Moroso. So one of the founders, she's the, kind of their new marketing director. And it's a really, you know, it's really interesting. Their challenges are, hey, you know, we've been doing something for like 50 plus years or whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like the market changes, right? It's not just drag racing anymore. Yeah. Definitely. And now, and now, so like that's Marosa really wants to get involved in drifting and hence why, you know, we're working together, right? Like they yeah. see the value, they see like, this is kind of our generation's version of drag racing back in the seventies or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Like I recently saw a uh, documentary on, or not a documentary, it was like one of those fictionalized things on Amazon prime. <laughs> Don yeah, Perdome, yeah. <laughs> it was like snake versus mongoose. And I was like looking at them, like the way they're thinking about marketing, how they approach hot wheels. And I'm like, dude, this is like 
drifting like right now like they're like trying to like damn people are like kind of you know just coming in truck and trailer like nothing fancy yeah kind of getting exactly. trying just trying to make kind of the next round and whatever and then they're like yeah what if we just kind of elevated a little bit more and then you know yeah. they got army or navy involved and then hot wheels and you know it's just like of it's course. just like cool it's like dang like drifting is kind of where drag racing was back in like the 60s 70s when those two got yeah like, it's cool how you doing. can just yeah you can see the the dude, history just repeats itself that's what it, it does. is it really does but so, uh, well, okay. So speaking yeah. of Morosa and you mentioned fuel lab and stuff as well, how did you, I guess, concoct your approach to, let's say, let's just go with Morosa yeah. for now. What was your approach to them? Uh, cause did, you didn't really know anyone specifically that so worked there or had I, any type of relationship, no, right? No, I didn't. So, well, funny, they actually showed Even up to better. Formula Drift New Jersey this year and they okay. were like kind of directly across the uh, GT radial rig, which is where I am gotcha. with Jerry Yang racing. And so I was like, huh, like obviously I'd heard of Morosa before. I actually have one of their catch cans on my S14 and it used their oil catch can for like more than a decade. Nice. And so I was like, cool. Like oh, I haven't damn. seen this brand come out and you know, like I knew it had a really great reputation and it, I knew it was family owned, but I didn't know a whole lot. And I was just like, Hey, let me like go talk to him see what's up. And I knew they made a bunch of LS stuff and they actually make, you know, oil pans, oil pumps, mm -hmm. um, valve covers, you know, spark plug wires. And those are kind of the things that I'm using on my car this year. And obviously the catch cans and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I just had a conversation, introduced myself and was like, hey, like I do this really cool halftime show on behalf of GT Radial. You should check it out. You're probably going to easily see it because you're like right in front of it and, yeah <laughs> and so um and so they really loved that show and it's um something that i've developed over the past couple of years um it came from when i was a uh when i was a dj in college so okay. i love like putting music on getting like a crowd hyped up yeah. and stuff although i can tell you in college like i didn't i didn't like i don't I naturally like don't like talking on the microphone and all that. I just like played music, but then I got more comfortable with talking with the crowd, interacting with the crowd, knowing how to just be comfortable on a stage type thing. And so I saw RTR do their kind of version of a halftime show, but mm -hmm. like they were doing kind of a megaphone and there was no music and no stage. And so I was like, oh, cool. That's like a cool idea. I'm going to totally steal that. Like that's how, dude, that's how stuff works, man. It's like, don't reinvent the wheel. Just add another spoke. You that, know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good way to put that. Yeah. Okay. Like, wow. It's like, cool. Like, yeah, that, I always tell people just, don't, why are you trying to do something fucking new? Yeah. You're going to screw up no, a just, time and time over. Just do what has already worked that someone else has done and put your own touch on it. It's that simple. Exactly. And so that's what I did with, you know, my version of the halftime show. It's like, oh, Vaughn does something. It attracts people. That's cool. But I think it could be better. So let's do it yeah. off a stage. Um, and then that turned it into, let's do it off the lift gate of the GT radial rig. Let's interview drivers. Let's have a soundtrack that I actually mix myself using my DJ skills. It runs half an yeah. hour. Let's do some product toss, but also interactions with the crowd. Like we do water bottle chugs. We throw <laughs> t-shirts out. We ask drivers questions about their stuff. We throw in questions that are specific for a partner like GT radial. It's like, yeah. Hey, guess what? GT radial doesn't just make drift tires. They make semi tires. They make regular tires. You could go buy GT radials and put it on your SUV. It's awesome. Right? So it's a great plug for, for them. And it's also a unique thing that, 
you know, again, aside from like Vaughn, like I see some people in the paddock doing something similar, but it doesn't have kind of the structure that I've kind of put around it. And um, yeah. it's just a blast. I love doing it. And I'm it's sure so after fun. you did it a couple of times, you you just kept noticing it, more and more shit because it yeah. just it it gets better. natural. No, it gets better yeah. and better. It's like, yeah, the first, the first time I did it, I did it before I was on Jerry's team. I just did it at my like pit space in Orlando, my first event. And it was like, I was a little awkward on the camera, you know, on the microphone. It didn't yeah, go yeah. that great. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but it just, you just, you know, you got to start somewhere and build off of it. And so Moroso saw that they really liked it. So going back in the story and, um, and then I just kept in touch with them and then just kind of pitched them the idea of like, Hey, like I really want to work together. I really want to understand what you want to make this a successful mm-hmm. relationship because I've definitely had like partners in the past where it's sort of like, oh yeah, here's you know, here's some parts. Okay, cool. Like, what do you want? Oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe some content or something. Like, okay, well, like, it would be more helpful to me if I had like just a checkbox of things that I can just be like, all right, you wanted X number of social media posts, or you really want to see, you know, value from my halftime show, or you want um, my spin the wheel program that I do. You want these different things that I can deliver you value. And at the end of the year, I can say, hey, guess what? We did all of these things. Here's how many social media views we did. Here's how many people we reached at the halftime show. Here's all the data I collected from this other program. And here's how uh, we work together to make that all possible, right? And so when you have clear defined goals, I think that's really important for any partnership. Because otherwise, if you don't really understand, if neither party understands what they're supposed to actually do, or, you know, like, you're just kind of like, oh, well, was it successful? Uh, you know, I, I guess, I don't know. And made, you know, went up to the booth, introduced myself, talked with one of their product people, talked with Penelope, who's the marketing person, and then had them watch my halftime show, kept in touch throughout kind of the season. Yeah, yeah. And towards the end of the year, just started to open up that conversation again about working together in 2024. They're really excited to get into drifting because it's a kind of newer market for them. They've been involved with, I think Jeff Jones has um, worked with them yeah. in the past. Yeah. yeah. And he's a goofy mother. <laughs> he's, he's cool, awesome. dude. Dude, Jeff Jones is an awesome guy, man. And uh, yeah, he does the halftime show with me in GT Radial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he always can pull out some cool move, although it's pretty difficult to do that when you're like in Orlando or St. Louis and it's 100 degrees out. Yeah. But I like that they do like characters because that's yeah, one thing that's really missing from yeah, drifting yeah. and like yeah. what's heavily influenced in Japan because of the anime stuff and like that's mm-hmm. just their culture. But the, like the wizard thing that Andy does, like yeah. that's so good. It may be cheesy as fuck sometimes, but like FD needs shit like that. Yeah. They need stuff for the kids to latch on to, yeah, not totally. just the adults. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I got to influence the next generation. For sure. Um, tell me, okay, so from the, the moment you talked to Moroso, did I say that right? Moroso? Yeah. How does that sound wrong? Moroso. Moroso. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, so from the moment you talked to Moroso for the first time until it was finally like signing a contract. Or if you may have not actually signed no, I did like, a actually full no, it's signed, signed. I know some some brands don't, I don't even give a shit about contracts and which yeah, is some kinda, do, some don't. I mean, it yeah. depends on like what level of investment they're making into your program. Yeah, like if there's a significant level of investment, then yeah, you're gonna have a contract. If it's like, hey, here's some, you know, products or whatever, it's yeah, you know, kind of less of an investment for them. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's just sort of a trial. It's like, hey, if you screw me over, like you're never getting any product again. So you don't know I mean like <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you do have to like treat all those relationships like that. It is a building block, right? Like wherever you start with a new partner, you have to like you don't want to sell yourself short, 
But at the same time, you're not going to get, you know, a million dollar deal. Not that I've ever gotten one of those exactly. in, in, yeah, in racing, yeah. you know what I mean? I've never done that, but, um, but you do have to build trust, build the relationship and yeah. over, over years sometimes. To and add some context to yeah. it from that, that day you first talked to them from, to the contract, how long of a period was that? Well, you know, so most I, people I feel like will just, they think they can just do one pitch email and then problem solved, they got a sponsorship. And that's yeah. like, obviously, no. But some people don't can't comprehend that. So how long did that process right. actually take? It was about six months. Okay. And that was, so, yeah, because yeah. June was the New Jersey round and then signed the contract end of December. Yeah. And I would say we didn't really start talking about potentially working together until kind of September, October is when I originally yeah. reached out to them. So, yeah, and then it took, you know, some back and forth um that took until kind of december to finalize really actually deciding what yeah, we each really, other needed honestly we like, like agreed on terms at a high level like at pri nice. so okay that was pretty cool yeah actually like that was like that Their was like booth the, was pretty rad at pri yeah, <laughs> yeah dude it was yeah they did they do a great job at marketing their stuff and their products are again they look fantastic they they show well they perform very very well as i've used them in the past and just excited to build that relationship yeah What's one thing you notice, because uh, I'm sure, do you get drivers that come to you and like ask you how you've made it this far, how you get and connect with companies and stuff? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, whether it's that or it's just like, hey, how do I get into drifting for yeah. sure? Like, probably What's get the that biggest like issue you see out of people from that? Like, what are, what are they dealing with the most, embarrassment or is it like? No, I think it's honestly just, you know, your fortitude of sticking with it. <clears throat> yeah you know what i mean Consistency it's easy to say like oh dude that looks so cool i want to do it you know what i mean and it's a lot of work man that's the thing like yeah. with even just driving at a grassroots level just getting a car to a track is so much a battle. like it's huge battle right yeah. and so people get discouraged they get in over their head of mechanical stuff budget you know all that type of stuff like that's kind of the biggest you know failure point that i see is just being able to get out there consistently, get seat time, that's mm -hmm. the toughest challenge that I see people doing. You know, overbuilding their car to an extent, all that. You know, it's kind yeah. of typical. I guess, I mean, I feel like I see that so much and I've heard it so many times through so many different channels. It's sort of like, yeah, it's kind of, it's it's just like, all right, yeah, we've heard, we get it. Don't overbuild your car. <laughs> seat time is king. You know, I will. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. I mean, like, I actually, so I believe in all of those things. At the same time, I spent, <laughs> probably a decade of driving on low power cars like yeah. until my 86 which i started driving that car in 2020 uh and i was drifting from 2010 to 20 2010 to 2020 yeah literally 10 yeah. years of the highest horsepower i had ever had was a stock 1j s14 which i still have that car but that was the highest now a lot of that came with the time frame that you started drifting too they're like there wasn't as no, enough aftermarket backing to be People able had to make the swaps car. ls swaps back in 2010 well yeah, yeah but i mean like suspension geometry and stuff like that wasn't right. quite no like, no i dude i had like tyron spacers pristine. yeah on yeah you know that was my angle so like <laughs> there was more of uh inclination to keep it lower horsepower do you think you still would have followed that same approach in today's time frame with how much backing and how many parts and stuff are made for every car? It wasn't the backing that was the issue. It was just my personal finances didn't have any. I 
Well, yeah. yeah in yeah. college, like when I was in college and I had, I was, you know, I was driving the A1JS14, I was bartending, I was DJing, I was internship money and all that. It all went to just hit, like putting two tires on that car. You That's know what fair, I mean? Yeah. Borrowing truck and trailer. Didn't have a truck and trailer. Was borrowing all that stuff. And it was just really tough. Like, dude, that's all I could afford. And I was driving maybe like once a month and it was brutal. Like, couldn't, yeah. didn't do anything fun outside of drifting, but I love it. Like, don't get me wrong. Huge passion of mine. But what portion of your income do you think you were spending on drifting versus your regular bills in day to day life? Well, wait, sorry, today or back then? Back then. Back oh, well, sorry. <laughs> sorry. All right, all right. I know uh, today's probably crazy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back then I was living at home, wasn't paying for anything really to sustain myself, I guess. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, I guess food, but like a majority of my bills were covered yeah. by my parents at the time. I was a lot like of the viewers 18, out there are going to be the same scenario, yeah, yeah. So. Um, so I was literally just funneling probably 99% of my income to, the, to drifting. As long as I had a peanut butter sandwich to eat every day, I well, was good. <laughs> I mean, my parents were definitely feeding me, you know what I mean? So, but again, this was when I was like 18, 19, 20, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And I'm almost, I'm 29 right now. So yeah. yeah, it's a little different. Now I like, I live on my own. I have rent I have to pay and mm-hmm. pay all my bills and drifting. So it's, it's different. Like I don't, I don't yeah. live, you know. The only reason I bring so that well. up is to show people what, a lot of what we give up just to do this. Oh yeah. So, cause like. A lot of, like you just said, it's easy to see it and be like, oh, I want to do that. But like, you're not even putting two and two together on what all it takes. So that's why this is so great. People get to fucking hear all of it. But No, dude. I mean, it's been like a very intentional plan once I was around 20 is when I decided I hate this lifestyle. Like, I don't do anything fun outside of drifting, which I love, but dude. There is way more to life than drifting. Like I like yeah. happy to say that. Like there are so many more interesting things to do besides just drifting. Um and it it can just be super frustrating. Yeah, dude, I love snowboarding. snowboarding. I was so snowboarding, fun. skateboarding, surfing, I don't know, just fun trips with friends or going out and doing different yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, like this lifestyle kind of is really hard doing three or four different jobs to try to make it work. I'd rather just have a singular job that can cover everything I want to do with racing, but then also have like those fun experiences as well. That's how I ended up finding a career in finance. Cause I wanted to do something in business. It was like, all right, what's the highest paying job I can make out of school, either be a computer coder in, you know, Silicon Valley yeah. or go to yeah. wall street. And so it was a really tough path, man. Like I ended up networking my butt off. Like I didn't have any connections in that industry as well. And really had to like sell myself just like I've kind of learned how to sell myself to potential partners, right? Yeah. That was yeah. kind of the first instance where I just had to tell people my story and try to get them on board of like, hey, this is why I really want this. This is why I'm going to do a great job for you. And I'm going to run through walls to get it done. Mm. And there's a lot of practice and iterations through that. But I eventually did land an internship that was unpaid at first in investment banking. And then that led to a, another internship that was paid. And then that led to me being able to recruit for a firm that, I ended up working and living in New York for two years, which was cool. That was like a dream too. Like if you're going to do finance and work 80 to 100 hours a week, there's no better place to do it than on Wall Street, right? And So So what you're saying is even though we say drifting is our life, you figured out that drifting isn't our life. (laughs) You figured out the right way. (laughs) And then then in that career, like I ended up having to take two years basically off from really driving a whole lot. Like between 2016 to 2018, I drove maybe three times and it was, you know, I would have to come back here or back to my uh, parents' place in DC. Um, My car was still there, 
I get to, you know, I got to drive a couple times, mm -hmm. but I really, you know, could have probably made a lot more progress on the driving side at the same time. I knew I needed to get away from that area and next to my car because otherwise I would have tried to work a hundred hours a week and do the car thing at the same time. Yeah. And I probably would have gotten fired from my day job. <laughs> so, because I would naturally would just be like, I don't care about this stupid Excel spreadsheet today. I'm just going to go like work on my car. Like, you know, or you can <laughs> yeah. go screw yourself. Like, I'm not going to do that, you know? So I knew I needed to like separate myself and just mm -hmm. really focus on that because that two year stint where it was really hard, I learned a lot but it set me up for a nice career path where I can support, you know, myself and I yeah. can do racing at the level that I want to, um, or at least give myself like the ability to have the platform, t the, the foothold to, Hey, now it's like kind of up to me to, you know, really make a career out of my program, yeah. but you need a lot of capital just to get to that spot, which sucks. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just the reality though. Like, you know, dude, you gotta, you can be the best That's why I try and preach yeah. it so much about the FD dream. It's like the FD dream isn't completely oh. all what it's made out to be. It's tough. Just like the American dream, but that's a different story. And if you don't have the plat, you don't have the platform, you don't have the car, like you could be the best driver in the world and it's just gonna screw you. Like, oh, yeah. My first year of FD, my car didn't work a single time in my qualified runs. Like you can see black smoke puffing out. Like I never actually, you know, it was like Dude, I never actually, got a clean How was up. the first round? Your very first round of FD. <laughs> it was brutal, man. I'm sure it was a shit show, <laughs> but like, yeah, a bunch of stuff. What made it a shit show, and why do you think so? Because a lot of drivers going into FD, it seems like it's just a repetitive cycle. Their first round goes dog shit because they just don't know what to expect. Yeah. So testing. Um, okay. There was, I did one. Pre-event pre or at? <laughs> well, I mean, you should be doing testing theoretically many pre. events. <laughs> Way pre. <laughs> and, and that was the idea too behind the car because I was like, oh, like all I have to do is upgrade the power and like everything will be great. But otherwise, like we'll have tested an R&D, the chassis and everything. And we kind of did that, but you add double the amount of power than what you had in Pro-Am and yeah. suddenly it's a different car. And also that was where all the issues were were related ECU related mm. and super, like the ECU supercharger combo did not work because it was HP tuners off a of stock ECU at the time. And oh, so wow. the timing would pull because it would freak out with the yeah. supercharger and air intake temps and all this crap. And so the car like just didn't really work like basically the whole year until the next year we got Link in the car Damn. and the G4 Extreme. And then now the car works amazing, especially thanks to my tuner, Jojo. Yeah. Uh, he really like, I've had, you know, I had a guy tune the car before and it worked. Like there's a difference though between the car working and then the car working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just the responsiveness and the throttle, the power delivery, all of it is now really awesome. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And and that is like a definite definite secret in terms of tuners actually do do matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. You get what you pay for. I see. That. That's one thing I really didn't comprehend because whenever I put the did the RB swap in the Z, it was on a NIS tune. So which is just a factory RB ECU. You know, same thing. Uh, but it had so many parameters and you still had to use math and all this stuff. And it ran like dog shit. Once I finally got it running, even though it was almost identical setup to what the dude had before me. But as soon as I got the link, dude, I was like wild. How crazy you can control almost anything 
with a standalone and just adding the extra little sensors with the expansion loom harness and you get to really nitpick every little detail and like i was i was doing some data logging on my car and i told my tuner i was like dude the burble like get rid of the fucking burble i can't stand it It, on d-cell he was like oh okay that's easy i was like wait what you can just do that which which sounds very simple and like i should have known that but it's just it's crazy to me how fast he did it i was like i didn't uh, i expected it like next day like Tomorrow I'll have it and I can go yeah. test it again. It's like, no, it was five minutes. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> How'd yeah. you learn this shit? Yeah, and we do that like in between runs too. We go to, especially Utah, the elevation, you have to change your tune for yeah. basically, you know. You see it on YouTube and yeah. shit, but you don't realize it until you're doing it yourself. But you go out there, convenient. it's like, hey, the car's breaking up at this turn. And then JoJo goes through the, the log, can see like a clear dip or something that he's like, oh, that's where it is. And then he makes an adjustment to the fuel map and then suddenly... It's like, it's fixed. It's Bro. awesome, man. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Having that link in there is so, so awesome. But yeah, going back to the first round. So yeah, car not working on a bunch of fronts. We actually went testing on the drag strip that day. Yeah. And uh, Steph Papadakis comes over. He's like, oh, are you guys out already? You're just having fun on the drag strip? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, we're trying to get the Gotta car to turn work. some laps somehow. Yeah. Shit. That was the first time I'd ever been on a drag strip. I did not know what the hell I was doing. Not that it mattered. We were literally just trying to make it go without breaking it up. And yeah, it you're just trying didn't. to get the RPMs up a little yeah. bit, test it out. Um, but then Orlando is also super hot. I got dehydrated really bad, mm. so I felt horrible. Actually, that happened like three out of four of the events that first year. God. I, I just didn't know how to take care of myself. It's a really yeah. big thing, again, going from a single grassroots day you know up and back that's it versus fd you're flying in on a wednesday you're setting up everything you're uh well that's if you i'm again fortunate enough to be with jerry yang racing don't have to trailer my car myself mm-hmm. um yeah also with my day job would be next to impossible to get that much time off because you're going out to utah you have to leave on like a saturday or sunday or something then just driving like i could not work could not you know Dude. i that wouldn't work for what i do for a career that supports this right yeah so anyway, um, but even if you're setting up all day Wednesday, you have practice on Thursday and qualifying was on Friday. Well, I guess, I mean, the schedule's changed around a little bit, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're out in the sun, you know, sometimes that's a hundred degree weather, dude, four or it, five days in a row. It is humid as fucking Yeah. <laughs> and dude, if you're not like drinking water after every lap or whatever, you're just and that's the other bad thing. You're sitting in line way more than you ever would at a normal mm. grassroots day. There's 30, there's 40 other drivers that are taking laps and only two at a time, right? Yeah, and they and have to do their suit. Yeah. And then they have to do the burnout before. And so you just sit, that's the, you just sit in the bake, you bake in the car and you're just dying. And it's uh, terrible, nah, man. Dude. Like, but. I got a cool suit now or after that event. <laughs> so that was another fix that problem. Another fix. Yeah. But then the problem with that is like the car would get hot when it was off and it would draw tons of amperage. So Ooh. you actually have to run the car to turn the cool suit on, but you don't run the car when you're sitting in line, which is when you need the cool suit the most. So <laughs> like it's kind of like it feels oh good. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like I can just turn it on and leave it on. It's like I bought all battery. of this stuff to yeah. use it and put it in here. And then the most important times I can't even use it. Yeah, exactly. God. Well, I mean, and I have a child. Why system. do you like FD? Because <laughs> I'm a masochist at heart. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we're psycho. That's why. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. Um, 
Well, okay. So then going into your second season, what were a lot of the, um, not necessarily to the car, but major changes you had to make with the crew or with, you know, pit side housing, anything like that? So yeah, things just go smooth. Yeah, so 2022, I joined Jerry Ang Racing, which was an awesome um, team to be a part of. Uh, so I was the spotter, and they took care of my transport, and they supplied, you know, Jerry is my crew chief, um, and then I had my other kind of guys. I had replaced one person on, on my team from that previous year into the next year, and things definitely went a lot better. So What was the reasoning, if, if you want to share that? Yeah, no, I mean... Um, you know, basically the person that, you know, was a part of the crew the first year or just he's like, hey, I want to focus on my business. And so it was time to find a new person to fill that role. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like something that was hurting your program. It was it was just it was a respectful departure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I didn't know if there was something like that was clean up from. Something yeah, no, 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 no. So then with, you know, with Jerry, it was just. I was just kind of talking to my spotter and I was like, hmm, like who would make sense? And then, you know, you kind of try to stay on like other people, you know, or people on the East coast because there's like some sort of connection there. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, And then Jerry used to run Robbie Nishida's program. Robbie Nishida is really, really great friends with my spotter. They grew up together in Japan. They drifted. My spotter is part of Hey Man. Uh, the drift team. His name's Charlie Tyson. He's like in one of those option videos from like Damn. forever ago. Yeah, I've known him since I was like guy. fourteen. He's awesome, man. He like yeah. He and I go drive together all the time locally, and he spots for me. And he's uh, obviously knows Robbie super super. Like they're yeah. really great friends, and Shinji Manoa and like all these other people. And so he was like, oh yeah, well maybe Jerry. Jerry could be somebody that you reach out to. And mm-hmm. so I reached out to him, and he was like, yeah, I could. I could do that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, really? Well, it was like the first person I reached out to. So this is easy. Lucky I bastard. <laughs> what the hell? I wish it worked so, like that. Yeah. And then originally it was just, you know, um, it was just going to be, you know, he was helping me out on my program, but then it was, they needed a spotter for Kazia. And that first year was really helpful to like learn. I'd never spotted for anybody before, but I'm just kind of an analytical person. And, mm. and I, st- so I got to see all the tracks, um, learned, you know, how to really focus on what the pros are doing in terms of like how they're certain techniques at certain times of the track, et cetera, to learn how to drive those tracks. And also just understanding that level of driving really helped with my own driving, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I took in a different approach. So when I'm at the spotter tower, I have like my laptop and an Excel spreadsheet and I'm taking notes on, you know, driver entries, typical mistakes, timing to try to. What understand. have you found are some of the most important things or most useful things to the driver when you are spotting? Entry technique. If there's a weird slowdown, how that slowdown is happening, like what they're doing right. to the car, are they letting off throttle way too early or are they just Amber throwing J, way more angle well at it? Um, and time timing overall which can get skewed if somebody misses all the zones and just is really well, narrow. they're really yeah. fast obviously but it at least gets us an idea of like hey we're in the ballpark of you know we're close enough in the ballpark not we don't need to make any crazy changes or hey this guy's super super slow like he's three seconds off pace and there's one car out there that is like that yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. so, <laughs> and so you're just like all right well you kind of expect it at the same time because it's true for every single track that we go to but you know you just learn how to adapt the car to different 
competitors, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you go up against fast people, slow people. Sometimes I'm just like, dude, you gotta like keep up with him on entry and you'll be okay. And sometimes he does it. And then sometimes he doesn't. And I'm like, I told you, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I told you what to do, man. Like, you know, but it was, it was honestly, it was really fun spotting for Kazia. We got that win in St. Louis together a couple of years ago, which was really cool. And then we got a podium in Orlando, I think this year. And so, yeah, I mean, working with Kazuya was, was really fun. That's crazy. What, what, that's gotta feel wild just to be around some of these, these big heavy hitter drivers. Have you gotten a drive with any of them? Yeah, I drove with Kazuya. That was with my prospect tire and car with, with his car. And oh, testing. shit. It was yeah, pretty yeah. fun. I was like, dang, I wish we were on the same tire though, because, you know, he just kind of pull away a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, 255ers, 295, love GT Radial, great tire. But there's a difference between 255, 295. Massive really big difference. difference yeah. Right? So that's what Scott was running last year on his, his car. The 295? Part. Uh, most times, most times you ran the two ninety five. Oh wow! Honestly, I've never even tried them. Well, not most. Sorry, not most of the most of the time it was obviously two sixty five, two fifty five ish. Okay, Uh, and then he would run the two forty five comps too. So wait, but they were all GT radials. Oh wait, he ran the the big the FD tire or just the two fifty the Prospect tire like the pro. Well, he was he wasn't doing he would do like Riversides and stuff like that. So he's not doing like pro am or anything, so he can still kinda use what he wants. Oh, okay. Uh, So he would use the two ninety fives a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't even fit him on my car because it's not I haven't we haven't cut away. Ah, Big Mustang fitment. He's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean you obviously can make them fit on the eighty six. You just have to chop off more of the rear because it's just so massive. You know what I mean? So and let's see, who have I I've gotten to drive Chelsea Denofo. Nice. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. He had a it was at E Town Pro Car or uh no, he was in his BMW blue car, it's turbo yeah. E36. Yeah, 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 okay. And I've gotten to drive with Vaughn. No. That shit. was sick. I put it on his door. Fucking <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, at Hyperfest. Yeah. He borrowed Chelsea. He was like, hey, can we uh can we go? He's a huge mentor to me. Uh I help him, you know, give advice on business related stuff when I can, and we've worked together in that capacity. And, uh, yeah, so at Hyperfest, I was just like, hey, you know, can we run together? And his car was broken, so he borrowed Chelsea's. And uh, I was like, all right, time to put it on his door. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, demo car versus, like, comp car, those are very different. Like, my, you know, three LS1, whatever, It's his car's set up to be, like, loose and fun and he yeah. gave me like the yeah. the clean lead line to like just like tuck in and whatever. It was it was so much fun. The small amount of times I've seen him drive in person, he seems to um, be very open to driving with the normal guys. Yeah, as well. So that's that's awesome. I love. He's like that. super down to earth, man. I mean, he can get like pretty, you know, polarizing. I guess in drivers' meetings sometimes, and people I will know. will like view that one way or another. But no, he's like, he's, he's a legend great. in the sport. He's done so sure. much for the sport and is definitely somebody that you like look up to and you're like, uh, yeah, I want my program to be like that. But, you know, going back to, and I like totally ripped off one of his ideas. Right. But like made it my yeah. own. And that's kind of how I view when I look at his program, what he's done. It's like, yeah, I'd like to do this, this and this. But if I could do this like a little bit differently or mm-hmm. whatever, like maybe like get there one day like that, that's yeah. kind of the goal. It's just like. But like, hey, this is like a great example of somebody that has done phenomenally, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, you can learn a lot from him, whether that's driving or business or 
Um, the way he's just built a team around him, the way he's been able to keep that team intact when like people, you know, people leave, right? Oh yeah. Like even in the cruise, like people come and go, but overall, like RTR is still a really driving, you know, big driving force. Powerhouse. And, you know, same thing can be said with all those top teams, Jerry, Odie, yeah. Papadakis, mm -hmm. like they build just phenomenal groups of people and make them come together and they do awesome things so crazy yeah. do you ever hope to drive for rtr or any of those big ones if you had like if you were handed a proposal from Odie and rtr let's That's just go with question. those two mm. because i feel like rtr is such a machine it's like where could i create value do you know what i mean like i look at those two businesses Feel suspension versus RTR. They're very different, right? Oh, like yeah. RTR is, you know, has the factory backing, has the energy drink sponsor. OD could easily get those things, but I think from his overall program development, it's it's like just a different stage versus yeah. versus Vaughn. And so it's like, do you want to be part of the more I get more bad thing? vibes from OD? And then more party <laughs> vibes from Vaughn. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's for sure. But those are the two personalities. But like, I, you know, I talk with them both, like just in terms of just, you know, trying to get to know them, build a relationship. Who knows where, you know, one day, hopefully, you know, <laughs> who knows where that could lead. But honestly, yeah. like, that's kind of my approach to networking in general. It's just like, hey, like, I respect the hell out of you because you're great at this and you're great at that like why would i not want to get to know you like yes mm -hmm. we're competitors in some sense when i'm on yeah. jerry's team of course um but you can always learn something from competitor whether frenemy foe whatever you oh know what I mean? yeah like yeah. even people you just don't get along with people. there's there's things to learn from and so it's always just interesting understanding people's perspectives and and how they handle different business issues or racing issues or driving yeah. issues and all that stuff so yeah i don't know uh, in terms of answering your question, uh, which would I rather choose? Like, I think that just kind of would have to come down to like That's a, a deal by deal so, basis. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, timing and circumstance. I'm sure. Yeah. Would be the, Who knows? I mean, that would be awesome. Wager of that. I can't. I, yeah, that would be that'd be pretty sick if I had had that problem where yeah. I was evaluating. <laughs> oh, Fantastic which, problem. Which to one have. do I want to join? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can't go wrong with either. Or obviously, they're well, how about a this competing question, proposal then? against with Jerry. Do you too, ever yeah. find it in yourself to want to build one of those yourself, one of those teams? Build one of those teams myself. Because I, I like that was the original goal for LZ was to build a team like that, mm -hmm. and then it just ended up to where it was not, it wasn't the right business move to just you just needed to join RTR, and it made sense. But like, do you think that's even possible for people? Or would you ever want to build your own team to that scale? So I guess it's like what kind of, I don't know. So there's a couple of different areas when I think about a professional racing program. There's obviously the driving. Then there's the marketing, social media aspect. There's the business aspect. There's the managing the crew and building the car. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Five different things. There, there could be more, but those are like the five core functions. I don't think anybody can do all of those by themselves. Yeah, yeah well. we were talking about this. Like earlier. you can, you can <laughs> try, you can try to do it all yourself, and to an extent, like all of us do try to do all these things ourselves. But I, I know, like I'm definitely not. You'll never that be able to be the best at, at each uh, one. Yeah, which exactly. In order for a business to thrive, you got to be. <laughs> yeah, you have to build in a every team. increment. You, you have to have like 
good people at all of those positions to like make something work, right? Yeah. And so when it comes to building a team, it's like, do you mean just the car? Or do you mean like that whole five area thing that yeah. I'm talking about? And yeah, building a team would be cool, but it's like if you have an opportunity to build off something that's already there, honestly, like that's kind of the way to go because that's how I approach my day job as well. Would you rather yeah. start a government contracting business from scratch? Hell no. Would you buy one because you can see it's had a lot of success and is on its way to even more greatness? And yeah. then you can add in kind of your skill sets or flavors to things and then build it from there? Yeah, that's like so much better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you're going to get from like here to here a lot faster than it's going to take you from scratch to where something is currently. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think I'd rather not start. Oh, I mean, at this point, it's like I haven't started. I mean, I kind of did start my own program from scratch. I mean, yeah, if you're yeah. getting an FD, you're starting your own program from scratch, race sure. program. But just on that scale, it just yeah. it seems like it's truthfully not 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 that it's not feasible, but just it doesn't seem worth it. So that's why I ask. Yeah, again, I think it's just I think some people like to do that, but I would say it's easier to create value when there's already a good You're base. You're be more to work interested of. in business operations instead of drifting at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like they kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways, right? Like with Vaughn's content creation and the stuff that he does for partners. I mean, I can. Yeah, but like if you look, yeah. if you extracted uh, the cameras and everything, and just focused on what his like day to day life is, he, I guarantee you, he probably loves just business. Probably, I would say more than drifting. He's a very. Like, <clears throat> I don't know if he'd ever say that, but like. He always, I, he always like talks it. about it as like drifting's like the fun thing you get to do, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, like ninety percent of the, of the time, of the yeah, like ninety percent of the time you spend, you know, either getting the car ready, doing the business stuff, whatever, mm -hmm. and then finally you're rewarded with some driving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's a very visionary guy. I think he has a lot of really great ideas, and it comes down to he has a really great team behind him to go and execute those ideas. You yeah. know what I mean? He's very like CEO like to me. That's what he is. He's like a CEO type level that, but that like isn't trying to hype him up in terms of like, you know, CEOs are visionary people. They're not necessarily execution people. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, he is obviously executed upon everything he's done, but he's also had the support of a lot of others to help him do those things and actually, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what I find. It's, you know, it's really hard when you're at kind of the level that I am where you're like, Hey, I've had some kind of level of success at this where I like I have this license or whatever. I've competed in FD a little bit. But dude, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the buck kind of stops with me. Like if mm -hmm. I don't put effort into it, no one else is going to. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he has like, all right, like if he goes on vacation, he has people to continue. He has another him. <laughs> he has people that like can push content out for him. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like when you're at that scale, you need more people to scale you know, what you're yeah. doing, but it's Being hard. Being like, at that scale is just so hard to even comprehend. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it wild. Is. It's really tough. I love to pick people's brains that are like that. Just because I, I want to know what fucking bounces around inside of there to makes everything, it makes everything click for you. But. I mean, for him, uh, I mean, he'll say like, it's, dude, I mean, he came in at the ground floor of drifting too. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot, like all those guys, Forsberg, Gucci, you know, all the OGs, whatever, like 
a lot of this stuff was kind of like, yo, they were kind of the drivers that were around when, you know, Ford's mm-hmm. like, oh, is what's could drifting be interesting? And yeah. oh, let's go with Ken Gushi. And then Vaughn kind of like was like, oh, nope, actually, we're going to go with Vaughn. You know what I mean? It's just like, but they were the original people that were there when people yeah. kind of started to ha- show an interest. So a lot of that timing was kind of luck. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So they were the pioneers. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll stop hyping Vaughn up so much. <laughs> we love you, Vaughn. You know that. But, uh, okay, so back on some FD stuff. <clears throat> With the amount of good cars that are coming to uh, drifting, um, like uh, E46 is one of the main ones for Formula Drift for guys to build on a budget and it just be competitive as fuck. So Right what, now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, what would you consider like the top three chassis to use that could be the most competitive at not necessarily the lowest budget, but like a moderate budget. Yeah. Um, well, I mean like E46 S chassis still, mm-hmm. you know, I guess 350Z if you're just starting out, I guess what, what level are we're talking about FD level competition or yeah, FD about, level. So like okay. they've been driving for several years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I thought we were talking about like, Hey, I just am looking to, like I'm done with my seat time car. Okay, I'm ready it. to like build a legit competitive car. Mm-hmm. I don't have the biggest budget, but I got a budget. Yeah. I mean yeah. like 86, the FRS BRZ pro- platform, like that's a decent one. I know people have lots of issues with it, but it's, proven to be a competitive chassis you know Mm. what i mean you just have to set it up right is it going to be the most competitive chassis like chassis to chassis comparison no but it's still you know do people make parts for it yes like can you buy an angle kit can you buy rear uh suspension arm kit yeah like you all that stuff is there like if you can buy stuff and then throw it on the car like if you can buy the wise fab the fortunato the Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, right, and throw it on the car and make it competitive. Then, like, that's a pretty good chassis to go with, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know what I mean. Versus if you're trying yeah. to create all these things from scratch, like that's a terrible chassis to go with. That's, I mean, that's I guess yeah. how I'd view it. And then obviously that's probably tier one. Then tier two is okay. So yeah, you can get and you know a bunch of angle kit stuff for the 86 but you can also do that for an E46. And mm-hmm. then it's like, hmm, well, which one's the more competitive chassis? No one's gonna argue that. The E46 is obviously the more competitive chassis yeah, yeah. out of the box. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think in the end, people get wrapped up too much on choosing one versus just actually choosing one and going for it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, but like, oh, I think this looks blah, blah, blah. like, I don't care what it looks like. You're behind the wheel. Dude, just drive. Just I drive do. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dude, just drive it. Like, I I'll preach care. that every day. Focus on your car. Make it look good. I mean, but make it at look that good. Level, yeah, yeah, but like, like okay, you're, you still kind of have to, to look good. You yeah. know, like, it can't look like a pile of crap, yeah. right? And so you're going to make any car, you like, look decent, right? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And any car looks pretty decent. You know what I mean? So, you know, again, it's just like, all right, just pick something and go for it. And then you, you're going to learn like how to set that chassis up, how to make it better or worse. You know what I mean? So mm. I don't know. I think you just really actually have to focus on the driving aspect rather than, Oh, what chassis should I pick? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's fair. 
I just know a lot of people are gonna in, they're gonna end up building a whole separate car anyway. So if, if but why you're going like, into, if you're if you're going from, I mean I'm right there with you. For if you're going fuck? for like that's but, like that seems stupid. Like oh I spent all this time getting my license or doing grassroots stuff and now I'm gonna throw all that stuff away that I learned knowledge wise and then yeah. go with a completely different thing like. Unless you have a really great team behind you that has done it before with that chassis or multiple chassis uh, or whatever. If you have somebody knowledgeable, then sure, go for it. But if you're just kind of doing it by yourself and you don't really know what you're doing, like, come on. Unless you've actually been a part of an FD team, you don't really know what you're doing until you've, like, gotten to that level. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that's why if you can surround yourself with really great people, like I did with Jerry, you know, like, he has a lot of experience with multiple drivers, yeah. multiple chassis, NFD at the pro one level, there's a lot of knowledge there. And that I've learned a lot. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's what you, I mean, that's like the biggest asset I think you can do yeah. is to try to get somebody on board that's been a part of an FD team or has run an FD team if you're trying to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Now, what if, what if someone is going, they finally got their pro-am license or their pro-spec license, sorry. <clears throat> they just came out of pro pro am and they they still want to keep don't wouldn't you want to still keep some type of seat time car going yeah dude no, that's prospect? the biggest mistake that's okay the biggest so mistake, like what yeah. if in that instance you you have your car that you've been competing in but it's not quite to the level of prospect where you need it to be or there's some adjustments for tech that you got to make or whatever the circumstance is and you're like, well, I could either build the entire new car to the exact spec that I want and it needs to be and more of what I've been wanting this entire time and then just make this a seat time car. Or would you say just bite the bullet, upgrade the car you have to the prospect level and then maybe halfway through the season or getting into the season buy a cheap, cheap seat time car? So I guess if I would just stick with the same question. Plat- no, I would. OK, so I mean, I guess. I mean, okay, realistically, when you're going from Pro-Am to Pro-Spec, you're pretty much going to have to tear down the car and start from scratch, regardless. Is that because of tech rules and stuff? Or I mean, you're going to have to do tech stuff. You're going to want to refresh. At, I mean, you should. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're, I mean, you're probably going to go with a bigger motor or upgrade the motor in some shape or form. Yeah, that's what I mean. And like, yeah. so everything's getting stripped out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you want to use like the same chassis or just keep that chassis but keep it as a you know seat time car but then get the same chassis just a new one and then build that one yeah. like i could see that working do you know what i mean but yeah you should probably just saying building like a whole different chassis and say car like you have an e40 like you had an e4 uh you had, let's just say you went with an 86 and you got your license in an 86 and you wanted to keep that car for your seat time car but i would also build an 86 then for yeah. spec. i wouldn't okay. go and try to do a bmw Maybe you could because it's like a lot of stuff is off the shelf, but at the same time, the setup is really important. Yeah. The first time I put WiseFab on my 86, I was like, dude, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I was like, this isn't set up, right? Like, oh my God, I have like no traction. I just have a crab walk, no self-steer, or like all this stuff. I was like, dang, I just spent a lot of money on this. This is bad. And then yep. I set it up properly and I'm like, 
this is great. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I've so got everything really eyeballed matters. right now on my FDF <laughs> kit. And I like, I know that's my exact feeling this weekend that I'm going to get. It's like, fuck, there's no self steer. Like I gotta, I gotta find the right adjustment for this chassis. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Dude, you gotta like, be a pain. It but. has, yeah, you have to set it up correctly. Otherwise you can have the nicest parts on there, but completely wrong. And yeah. then it's just, you know, you might as well just have let your money on fire at that point. But I mean, yeah. the good thing is you can rectify that. You just have to make the adjustments. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. What do you say about the people that do speaking the angle kit stuff? Um, they get a part and they set it up and they don't set it up correctly. And their first reaction is to get mad at the manufacturer. Yeah. I hate for the life of me seeing Dude, that. Dude, angle kits are such black magic boxes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's so hard because yeah. I mean, the, I've had so many people complain about it, and I've kind of took of the attitude of, again, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's figure out, like, yeah. what works. Just go with that. You know yeah. what I mean? But then sometimes you, like, buy something that a pro driver is marketing as, like, oh, this is what I use. And then, I've again, I've heard this from other people. Like, they call up the manufacturer. They're like, hey, what the hell? Like, th none of this is working. And then I wait, like I looked at this video and actually like this looks way different than what you're selling. And then they're like, oh, yeah, don't even worry about that's like this guy's special setup or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, well, uh, <laughs> then how well, what the fuck? I bought this so I could because this guy was doing it and he's a great driver. And then but then I get basically something different. Yeah, a diluted you, version yeah, of yeah. it. What? <laughs> Come like, on. You're like, what? And so I mean... I don't know. I in a circumstance like you that, you just have to understand that, that you're buying when you're buying an angle kit. Like you, you got to start with the manufacturer's guidelines as you know a base setup. Mm. It's just like a base tune for an ECU. Like yeah, Link but gives, understand Link there's still you, work to be done. Right, and that's the part that I don't Link, think people exactly click on. Like Link will give you a base map to make sure your engine turns on. Right, but you can't yeah. just use that base yeah. map to like. Don't go driving, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> what the hell's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, don't expect to. All right, cool. Load to the base map, ready for competition right yeah. now. You know what I mean? It's like no, you gotta. I wonder actually, how many like, emails they get a week on that. Hopefully, people aren't that. That's I'm stupid, sure there's people out there that don't. Maybe actually, not no, one. that's maybe fair. not. I've, every I've heard week, people but... that are like. Yeah, I just load the base map on my, you know, uh, Power FC thing or whatever. You yeah. know, they're just like, oh, I just send it. You know, it's like. Mm, well, good thing you haven't blown up the motor, or maybe that's glad you paid me up. first. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So yeah, I mean, angle kits are just one of those things where you have to take the time and really like dial in the the setup before you go and do any real competition level driving or anything like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I guess let let's jump on for the future for you. What are you kind of looking for going into this next season? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I've been spending a lot of time on the simulator, something that I got kind of middle of last year. And that is how I'm prepping for this upcoming season. So what have you learned the most from the sim real quick? FD Atlanta was a great example. Like just the the line? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So I had never driven Atlanta before, and that was the first round last year. It's the first round this year. And spent a lot of time in the sim, and, you know, it was just – you have like unlimited laps to like kind of learn things. You're like, oh, let me yeah. try this technique here. Oh, like I keep missing this zone. So let me try to do adjustments here. And then when it came to actually doing the track in real life, I qualified second. 
So I never qualified that high before at a track that I'd never driven before. Damn. So, yeah. I That's mean, like some black and white proof right there. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I'm not like I'm not even big on Sims just because I like it doesn't for some reason I can't get it down. I'm but I'm not into video games either. So me that neither. Help. I hate video games because like, you did it being a big solid and it was just like buy this 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 and it was like mm, this is expensive but okay. <laughs> <laughs> How much did it end up costing? Oh, it was like between well the computer was like thirty five hundred bucks because I have VR and I had to buy like one of the nice oh, high end okay, things. Yeah. I, like yeah. I didn't build it myself. I just went to iBuyPower and just was like. That's what that is, but I upgraded okay. it myself so that it can yeah editing. But no, yeah, mine. I use it to edit too, and it yeah like, works awesome. So yeah, I mean that was you know half the cost, but then overall I would you know then there's the rig, there's the pedals, there's all that stuff. It's probably like seven ish thousand dollars, seven eight thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah, is it like a motion rim? Rig, no, it's though? not. No, no. So but it's VR. VR. Oh, okay. Well, with that, Do you have like wind and like fans on you or anything? No, I just to kind of. I honestly don't. I do it for maybe like hour, hour and a half at a time. Oh, it wouldn't even be worth it then. Yeah. No, because I, I, I've heard people do it for like five or six hours, but I, dude, I, you know, I would lose my shit. I got. How do you have do that much time? I know. In yeah, I'm like, what? Uh, nah, no, this isn't. Oh uh, yeah, and then I yeah. Dude, I, I struggle uh, to scrape thirty minutes out of my day to make a phone call. Sometimes <laughs> like that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so no, that's that's like not not really for me. But some people I know do it for long long periods of time. But so yeah. But I love the simulator. I think it's a really really helpful tool, and I've learned a lot out of it. And so I have weak spots. Utah has been consistently for the past two years like the weakest track in my schedule. A lot of people struggle on that. It's one. hard. It looks tough. It's really hard. And then they kind of changed the course around, you know, a week or two before. So then my sim sim time kind of went to waste because I had practiced the old layout. Mm. But then, you know, there was other stuff um that was a factor. And so I just need more that's that's my weakest track and I just need to do a lot better on it. And so I think I've gotten it like I've definitely learned some things in the past couple of weeks on the sim. Yeah. That I'm like, okay, this is what I did wrong or oh like Oh, I've, like it just clicks. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, oh, let me just change the way I do this, and then I start consistently getting the the mm -hmm. line that I want. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so you know the same thing works in real life. And uh, now that I know what I need to do differently compared to what I've driven in real life, it's like okay, let me try it out next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just again, I want to feel more prepared. I want more seat time in my uh, prospect car because I don't. I only get to. It lives in Atlanta with Jerry, so I only see it a couple times a year. But I think this year we need mm, to do some more testing, yeah. some more events outside of just ProSpec so that I get continually more comfortable with it. And a step with that's kind of the purpose of the RX-7. Like I had the stock one JS-14, but it's not really enough car to be anything close to the ProSpec car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So RX-7 has more power. It is kind of, it is very in between the S-14 and the ProSpec car, but more similar to the ProSpec car. So continuing to drive that, going to do Hyperfest, Gamblers, 235 class in that RX-7, Sick. doing obviously ProSpec and the 86. And I usually hit, you know, like 20 plus events per year, at least. Um, so big events too. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's sick. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's four ProSpec events. There's Hyperfest, uh, trying to do Grid Life, a couple of Grid Lifes this year. And then there's the Club Loose events. I try to yeah. make it to Pocono once a year, Summit Points right around my area. And so I do try to 
go to as many things as possible. Now I've kind of looked at my calendar and trying to focus on kind of the highest value events for partners, mm, for spectators. A couple of years ago, I was just kind of doing anything every, like, oh, I can go to a track this weekend. Like every weekend, let's do it. And then it would be, I kind of got burnt out by the time mm. August, September rolls around because you're just like, this is too much. Oh, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, last it's never year. never too much driving. No, it's too it's much consuming your wallet. <laughs> well, no, there's that. But then there's getting the cars ready for <laughs> the, you know, okay, the next yeah, event. Yeah, then, the there's, work then there's the day shit. job stuff that comes. You know, it's just, it gets to be just a lot on your mental, you know, stuff. So yeah. you're just like, all right, like, let me just focus on the things that I think will be the most value for me in terms of not just specters, but also like what kind of quality drivers are showing up to these events? Am I going to learn anything by driving with these people? Mm. Because I want to drive with people that are comfortable with tandeming that are going to good, you know, throw down a great lead consistent run for me to follow. And then when I lead, I'll do the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if there are people, the only people that are showing up to the events, like can barely tandem, don't want to tandem are too afraid or whatever, or spin out all the time that I'm like, ah, do you, you know, like I can't just this do solo laps anything, here. Yeah. Like this isn't fun. You know what I mean? I mean, solo laps can be fun, but not all day, you know? Yeah. No, like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, no. Yeah. It got to the, cause I haven't driven in like three years just from building the car oh. <clears throat> and being broke. But like, that's what I, the point that I got to was just, especially just doing fun events. That's all I did. So you'd go out do one or two single laps and then it's just tandem, 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 tandem all day. And that's that feeling was why is because you do a couple single laps and it's like, okay, well, I've ran the same line exactly the same two, three times over. Now what? Exactly. I have nothing to challenge my brain anymore. Exactly. So and that's something that's very I need. I absolutely need in my life. I have to be able to challenge myself. That's why competition driving is so much fun. Uh, that's why uh, fun tandem driving. <laughs> Three, four car tandem, bro. You got way more to think about. <laughs> oh my god, way more challenges. Such a disaster, though. Like I was in one recently so where I was just like, oh, I don't know about this, and I was like, I'm just gonna hang back and see what happens. And then I was like, well, we're entering this turn way slower than I would be, so I don't know. And then yeah, sure enough, we get to the top of the hill. Two guys spin out and collide into each other. I was like last, so two guys kind of hit each other. Then the car right in front of me. Yeah, you got to trust who you're going with now. <laughs> yeah, no, car in front of me, like just, I guess the car in front of me thought I was just on his ass or something. And he like didn't even, <laughs> he just like went flying into the wall. And I was like, oh, and I just kind of like, you know, yeah, I had backed off. And I knew I was like, oh, I'm just not, not confident that this is yeah. going to go well. And then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, other stuff that's coming <laughs> that's up this awesome. year. Um, partnering again with Fuel Lab. So they actually, if I can tell the story real quick, um, 2021, my fuel pumps decided to fail at St. Louis because it was 100 degrees out and they just blew up Yeah, and was going to be screwed. But guess what? Fuel Lab is actually like 20 minutes away from the track. So asked Derek Madison for some help and he sent me towards them and they gave me yeah. some fuel pumps to get my car running. And then ever since I've run their fuel system components so yeah continuing to work with them which i'm super happy about i have their qsst in my fuel tank now and that's a new thing that they released last year um it's a quick service surge tank and so my previous fuel setup had the surge tank behind the driver seat and you'd have to like remove the driver's seat out of the way unbolt the stuff there's a bunch of wires and stuff where the it was God. like a disaster <laughs> right 
And so with this QSST, it's now in the fuel cell area. Okay. And so all you have to do is pop off the bolts and then the pumps come out and there we go. And then Easy. we might be converting to their new single fuel pump that can support, I think like 1100 horsepower or something like that. Yeah. Right now we have two fuel pumps that support the, the fuel system, but we might convert to their single one, which is just a new product that just got released. So that's really exciting. But yeah, so I have your fuel pumps, a fuel filter as well. Fuel. So when the fuel pumps are my original fuel pumps failed, they shot their insides into my engine yeah. and wiped out my injectors. So Dude, yeah, that's, that that's one thing that I didn't really understand. Like I, I knew like fuel pumps go out, obviously that happens commonly, but aftermarket stuff like that, whenever I was talking to Tanner at PRI, that's when I really realized it because it's a consumable product at that point in your point of racing, like in formula drift, stuff like that. That's, you, you got to have that right next to your oil. <laughs> like, yeah, I have to have this at every event because at some point this shit's just going to fail and you already know it, but having not your fuel extra lab. fuel system, or, <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. not fuel lab. No, not fuel lab, but like the, I, whoever I used before, I think it was, uh, what was it, Walbro or something? I forget what it was, but yeah, like to your, to your point, like it was something I learned as well. Like I was like, Oh, fuel filter. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's the thing at the bottom of the, the fuel pump like the little sock it's like no that's not it <laughs> like like you need a fuel filter between your injectors and the line that goes out of your fuel cell or fuel yeah, tank whatever feed. you have but yeah your feed because otherwise like yeah you wipe out your injectors it's like a 1500 dollars part if you were talking about injectors for a built motor do you know what i mean yeah e85 capable shit yeah, like, yeah. e85 capable adds like 300 dollars alone <laughs> yeah it's like fucking hey that's why i run 93 this year uh, well, yeah, I'm like, I'd probably blow up my motor if I didn't use my Ignite Red. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, like, yeah. But uh, I'm all factory internals, JDM Magic, we're good, <laughs> but just stick with the 93 for now. I mean, I run 93 in my FDRX7, though, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Oh, okay. Because it's just an LS1 with a cam, and then LS3 intake manifold, and that's it. Damn. Yeah. Okay, hell yeah. Yeah. I expect, I totally expected that to be 85, at least. Nah, dude, 93's cheap, man. Well, I mean, yeah. But. And it's only like, you know, 380 horsepower. Although potentially getting a, I mean, we are hopefully getting a new ECU and then a different camshaft. And so hoping to make a little bit more, but maybe in the low 400s-ish, I don't yeah. know. You know, so not not a lot because I want to have fun. All at the same time, like that car does eat through tires a lot. So it really? doesn't, yeah, I think it's the gearing again. Wow. Super yeah, long second sense. gear, tons of wheel speed. Yeah. But it's fun. Like, I mean, I use it for gamblers. The gamblers are a great competition series. I, I know you don't love competition oh, series, I but hear it's a lot it's of a hype really, about the gamblers. Uh, yeah, it's like over, like the last gambler, like half the dudes were from Canada. And it was wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was like all of Canada decided to show up. And it was like, oh, we could have done like a US versus Canada battle. That would be fun. You know what I mean? But it was uh, a lot of really great drivers. And then the unlimited class, I mean, it was funny. The unlimited class actually drove worse than. Uh, than the 235 class as a whole. Wow. And the judges were like, yo, 235 class, you guys are doing great. Uh, Reese was like, but like, unlimited class, you guys are fucking up. <laughs> you guys suck. And it was so true. Reese is a savage. Dude, I, I love, love Reese. him. I've known him for a long time. He, uh, he beat me at my first competition. <laughs> like, I had actually, it was at E-Town. I'd never driven that track before. It was on backtrack, which is like the Bienner track, ironically. But it was US Drift competition first one i'd ever entered i qualified by like the skin of my teeth and then it rained 
And then I went up against Dan Savage mm. and his truck S13, which should have just blown me out of the water because I was one stock one non VVTI one J E30 at the time. Yeah. But he spun out on his lead run, and then I didn't. So I got to move on, which was sick. Won my like first battle ever. And then I went up against Reese, and he like buried his tire pressure. Was running like two seventy fives, and I was on like two thirty fives. And you know, like from the start, he just like took off, and I couldn't keep up. And I was like, oh man, this is uh, this is this is tough. And I spun. And that was it. But oh, yeah, I've man. known him for for a long time. He's a super cool guy. Yeah, I love yeah. hanging out with him. He'll be on the pod eventually. <laughs> I've, I've been talking to him about it for months and months, but yeah, it's the, everyone's just the timing. I refuse to do remote, so that's why. But. That's fair. Yeah, it's hard to get from Philly to or de- you know East Coast to here. Oh yeah, especially now yeah. that I uh, almost missed my flight again. <laughs> or yeah, might dude. Still, I don't know. Anybody Fingers out there? Crossed, if we schedule <laughs> a podcast and you got to fly in, and I see any sight of fucking snow coming. Oh my god. Reschedule. We're rescheduling. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I felt so bad doing this. Yeah. I felt like a dick cuz you had to go through all that, but ah, anyways. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. Um well, one question I did forget to ask on the FD. Do you get a lot of hate for the LS? Um, it's a mixed bag, interestingly. I think yeah, I think people are like, "Oh, it's not rotary." And I'm like, "Dude, rotaries suck for drifting." They do. No, pa- what do you want for drifting? Uh, rotary suck in general, but I love them. <laughs> I mean, dude, this sound cool. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like Mad Mike's four rotor FDRX seven. Like, oh, that thing yeah, sounds awesome. They all fuck. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like, dude, sounds sick. He's but got more I- four rotors than fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he said that in a video the other day. Oh, that's funny. He, he's like missing half of his pinky fingers. Yeah, I was going to say, does he have not have fingers? I was like, oh, okay. I was confused as shit because I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I didn't. It, I was like, all right, whatever you say, buddy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, look, sounds Sorry. cool. Random fact. Unlimited amount of money. Sure, I would. Yeah, if I had like unlimited amounts of money um, or somebody wanted to give me a four rotor and pay for multiple four rotors that I blow <laughs> up, then yeah. yeah, like send it my way. But, you know, from this like from what the FD is for, it's for a practice car that is similar enough to my prospect level car, but doesn't require the maintenance and yeah. um, is not as expensive to to use, right? And so it has to basically mimic my prospect car without being my prospect car, and yeah. that's why the LS is in there. I mean, it works. It's again, it's meant to mimic prospect oh, yeah. car. So that's you all. Can't go that's wrong that's why I like ever. it. And I think people really like the, I mean, they love the body kit. They love the look of the car. And it's usually like the only one at an event. You know what I mean? I'd say like so. There aren't, there aren't very many. I don't think I've ever seen an FD. Well, no, I take that back at Clutch Kickers. Was that your car, actually? No, no, it wasn't. No. Okay. That was, oh, I know whose car that was. Yeah, it was like the King's Performance. Yeah, because it was kind of the same color. No, 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 no. That that one used to be Danny Dominic's car, and that was like a rotary. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, that was yeah. a bl- yeah, that was a blue car. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So he used to. I remember seeing that thing, and he he said like it just like never <laughs> never really worked for him. You know yeah. I mean? And then he sold yeah. it. Um. So yeah, I I think it's I think it's a fun car, and I actually really like the chassis. Like I didn't understand a whole lot about it, but it has tons and tons of grip. Like I have it almost mm-hmm. a full hard on the shocks, and it's still really fast compared to most Damn. of the cars I drive with. You know what I mean? Wow! And so there's a lot of room to like turn the grip up and uh, yeah. make it like crazy. I mean, but at that point, like the motor just isn't. You know, it's 380 horsepower. It's not a yeah. lot. So it's just like, dang, maybe if I had like 
brought this car into ProSpec, I could <laughs> you know, have like the amount of power that I have, but then, you know, um, there's limitations with the tire being 255. That would be an old car that I, I think would still market for you. <laughs> I know it would be, it would be a lot of fun. Um, but there's, but then you're playing with of... your, your advice on the whole making a different <sighs> car. Hey, but you already oh. playing with that. Hold on. <laughs> Wait a second. Cause your, your advice well, was, uh, the... but the FDRX seven was already well set up before I got it. Okay. Yeah. So like I, I knew that, it was like <laughs> I had driven the car before. I knew it was capable it was a capable car. Yeah. And so it wasn't really learning anything. It was more just like the setup changes that I've made have just been small tweaks here and there. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. more reliability stuff than anything else. Like it didn't have a power steering cooler. Now it has a power steering cooler. It had to get a new rack. Okay, got the rack rebuilt. You know, like stuff like that or better fans Common or stuff. Yeah, like the ECU really needs to be better. Uh, because it's again HP tuners and just bad. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Um, I guess. Do you have any hopes for the next FD season as far as gaining licenses or like what? What is your what is your dream for the next season? Right. So I mean, if you're in prospect and you don't want to be in the top three, then you probably shouldn't be driving prospect, right? Like, what's the point if you're not trying to be at that level, right? And so yeah, that's. Course. That's obviously the goal um, is to be at that. And I've luckily been able to have consistent progress over the three years. So first year is tied for 19th with like five other people. Second year came in 11th. Then this year came in eighth. So it's been a nice You're little... You're working your way up. Yeah. yeah. And so again, this year it's like really would like to be on the podium. I think I can do it. I just need to fill in those gaps that I know I have. Yeah. Do you think that's important for people to understand is that the first couple, probably three, four years, you're not going to get anything out of FD or not in what terms you want. of, yeah, in terms of what you want. So that's the other thing. It's like, you know, people like to hate on ProSpec or Pro2, you know, like they even call it Pro2. It's not even Pro2 anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's gotten way more competitive in the last couple of years. If you go back and watch, even on pro level, if you go watch Atlanta from like 2018, 2019, most of those guys miss the second outer zone or yeah, second outer zone mm -hmm. because it's really, that's the hardest part of that course. And then in pro spec, I was hitting it every single time except my top eight battle, but you know what I mean, Damn. well, because top eight battles at night and I hadn't driven at night before. And it's a little different when there's like a light blinding you as oh, you go yeah. up the hill. And yeah. I was like colossal frame of reference of like where I was at the track. And I was like, Oh man, I'm like so far off that zone. But in terms of just like level of progression, like ProSpec is now actually, I think, really interesting to watch. Like some mm -hmm. of the battles are really, really close and the driving has gotten so much better. So that it is, it's a lot harder now to compete in ProSpec than it was, you know, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, whatever, yeah, all definitely. those years ago when it, you know, it's like, oh man, like even these like top 16 or top eight battles, like the people that are winning are literally just putting a rundown and the other guy spun out and it's yeah. not like that anymore. So it gets, I would say the battles get really intense once you get into top eight and then after that like that's where it's you better be driving at you're your pro top, top level yeah on your lead and your chase you know top 32 if you're qualifying really high there's a good chance that as long as you put down a clean run you'll be fine same you know and then top 16 can be pretty competitive that's again if you just the qualifying high really helps yeah so yeah
So if you do get your license this year for Pro One, do you think you'll you will go into Pro One next year or not next year, but the year twenty twenty five? Yeah, that would be honestly ideal, but it would also have to come down to a few factors like sponsor and uh, yeah, like yeah, what kind of partners the, the are on board, stuff. where my program is and its level of maturity, and if you if you excluded all of that and just brought it down to you yourself, your driving skill, your confidence, do you think you would do it? Yeah, if I got at least a couple of podiums this year and felt my driving had progressed to the level mm-hmm. where I know I'll be competitive at the pro level with the right car and et cetera, then yeah, I would love to be in pro. And I guess technically like a couple of years ago, it used to be top eight would get pro licenses in pro spec. And I guess I did finish top eight, but I don't think my skill level is there yet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and I don't want to make that, you know, jump and... I know they changed the rules, so now it's only top three, but I feel like if I really wanted to, I probably could have petitioned, but it's like, no, I don't want to. I need to spend mm-hmm. another year and really make sure that I'm at you know the top level of competition in pro spec. Best pe- in order, preparation possible. Yeah, yeah, in order to be at pro, because like, you don't want to, like no one wants to go into pro and just get blasted, you know, mm-hmm. either don't qualify or barely qualify and then lose immediately. That's like worst case scenario. And you know, even saying this, like now I'm like, even if I do all that prep, I'm not going to be hundred percent confident that I'll end up with, you know, a perfect result. But I think I'm going to put myself in the best position to have the best result by again, doing things like the simulator seat time, yeah, testing all yeah. the, you have to like build out a roadmap to success if you want success. You know what I mean? It can't just, mm-hmm. nothing's just doesn't magic. just fall in your lap. No, no, you can't just go into do, any level. I of say it all the time. Like, you do something for, you do something, or yeah. God damn, I can't talk. You do something good enough for long enough, it's bound to succeed. Yep. That's, yeah. And then sometimes there are setbacks. There are definitely, I've definitely experienced setbacks in my professional career, my racing career. And then you just have to reevaluate, understand what you did wrong, what could have gone better, and how to fix things to make sure that they improve on kind of the next go round. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. Well, that's some good advice for y'all if y'all are trying to go into FD. This whole fucking podcast, dude. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of good it, dude, I love driving for the fun business, too. Like, well, yeah. I mean, like, dude, your club, business club mindset is, behind yeah. it though sh- sheds a lot of value on the topic. So that's that's what I mean. But um, all right, well. Ever since 2024 started, I have been doing this uh, extra question at the end of the podcast. Uh, so basically, you start off with a bone stock version of the car that you already have. In this case, we'll go with the 86 because that's more common than the FD. Okay. Um, so you have a bone stock version. You have tires for your first event, but you have $4,000 to spend. What parts are you going to prioritize on it in Juku's website? For example, yeah. So I would buy Fortunato coilovers and a Sawbelt racing seat, and that's for my first event ever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So honestly, just those two things, and then honestly, <laughs> I guess uh, what's what's the deal with stock eighty six diffs? Like they're theoretically an LSD. Are they decent LSD? I'm not even sure. Um, I don't really remember i honestly like i have had a quick change in that thing since like i drove i drove it on the street for like a oh. month but like not it, let's let's just say uh, it's let's not just the say best like LSD. let's just say you get a yeah and say diff diff seat 
coilovers. That's it. That's yeah. That'd be about you know, thirty-five four, right? Yeah, so I think that's so, about right? right at the number. I'd say yeah, because like coilovers probably fifteen hundred, another thousand dollars for a seat, maybe like over you know yeah, cushion, yeah. maybe well for brackets and all that stuff too. So that's twenty five hundred diff. Diff might be another grand thirty five hundred, then five hundred dollars for buffer, right? Yeah, yeah. Or if you have five hundred dollars left over, um, I would just use it for entry fees. <laughs> no, entry fees for the next. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot you need probably extra wheels or an impact. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah well now okay now we're talking about well, like that assumes we have tools. Well yeah sorry yeah, yeah. it's like I, was I like, ventured oh, off on tools? that one yeah just yeah. just car uh yeah it's probably some coding wheels maybe some uh, hexaforms which are what the I use can't say guys stuff. around here <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no Koenig's but, are great too I'm just yeah no it's all good I mean I'm, I'm team Koenig over I'm here up. so, <laughs> so. Uh, but honestly I would probably just. Oh, I guess you have to. I was like, I guess you can't buy more entry fees on Njuku's website, so I can't just, yeah, I can't yeah. just cop out. Like, oh, actually, you should just buy more seat time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like seat time is king, but at the same time, dude, if I could have driven a little bit better, let's just of a say car, a harness bar and harnesses. Then that's probably about your five hundred. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, that'd be a good yeah, one. Yeah. I think that's a good point. What? Sweet. All right. Well, if you're building an eighty-six, there you go. That's the ones you should prioritize. Uh, and then I guess we'll go with your best piece of advice for just anyone getting into drifting, like purely. Yeah. Make sure your life is set up for it. Do you have the finances to actually pursue this hobby? Cause if not, you're going to frustrate yourself and it's going to hinder your progression. Oh yeah. Burn yourself out. Yeah. That was probably the best quickest advice you guys have ever gotten. <laughs> as simple as that was. Uh, well, hell yeah. Um, and then let's, let's get, I added this one too, but your one message to just the world in general, if you could speak to the entire world, what would it be? Hmm. That's a great one. I would just say, if there's a goal that you really want to pursue, do it. It's going to take a lot of work and that's just the nature of it. But if you really want something bad enough, then just keep working at it. And sometimes it takes deviations from that path that you think you're on. For me, it did. But it generally has worked out. And I'm just super grateful that I've had lots of great people behind me in my corner, whether that's been Jerry Yang, Russo, media guy, people like Reese and Dan Savage and Yoshi, Fuel Lab, Barroso, Fortunato, Koenig, and Canon Filters. I mean, I've just had some really, really great, awesome people, Clutch Masters. And yeah, like you just have to build those relationships and it's a, you know, it's a partnership. It's, I, I don't really like using the word sponsor as much, but whether that's in your professional life, your personal life, romantic life, I mean, it's all based around people and partnership first. Yep. Communication and relationships. That's awesome. Hell yeah, dude. Yep. I really appreciate that. Uh, well, I would ask you to plug yourself or your people, but you kind of just did that too. So <laughs> that worked out great. Is it, what did it, is there anyone you missed? Yeah. I think I, uh, like that? let's see. Oh, obviously GT radial dude. GT radials, the man, Mike. <sighs> Damn, just yeah, how did I, how did, yeah. Mike meme. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's others that I want to plug, but we got to get get some deals done. You know what I mean? Like, yep. that's what I'm talking to. So. Oh yeah, I know that. So yeah. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Um, I guess finish those deals with them if you're watching. <laughs> shit. Uh, and if you're wanting any media coverage, come to me. That's what I do. Uh, but as always, that's all we got for this one. Make sure you're hitting that subscribe button and turning the bell notification on and all the parts and stuff that, well, majority of them that we talked about, you can, of course, find them on Njuku's website, whether it's wheels, tires, oh, well, they sell some tires, but uh, body kits, anything. So, uh, yeah, and grab the merch, too, if you haven't already. If not, I appreciate you watching. But that's it. See you each Sunday for a new episode. Staying way up, up, up to the ceiling Trust no bitch, can't catch no feelings I've been taking long flights from the bay to Ibiza Hit home runs, I'm a ball like Jeter I just want fuck, 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 then I leave her I'm a young pop star, call the boy Justin Bieber Got a little money if you want, I can teach her Whole life a movie, you can watch it